All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Pass the Barb. I'm your host tonight, Ryan Pinkala. And uh, in true Pass the Barb fashion, we got a bit of rodeo going on here. So joining me tonight, as uh, per usual, got my boy Sam Sobe here. Howdy, 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 howdy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Pass the Barb. And I cannot thank you enough again for making this the number one outdoor podcast in the world. I appreciate the absolute hell out of every one of you. We've got big guests coming in. We pay them top-notch dollars to be here. And I just, it's all because of you guys. So thank you. Thank you so much. And let and let's bring it down to our good buddy, Captain Bill Will Solsky. God, is it good to see your face? It's good to be back, you guys. My gosh. I mean, this is it's been a long time coming since I've been uh having good I've got good Wi-Fi and I'm on a computer right now. This is pretty exciting, usually on my phone. Um, but yeah, I'm uh I'm happy to be back with uh, the best podcast in the entire world. I think we should mention, too, how much money we're making. I mean, we are making so much money. It, it's yeah. pretty cool. People don't even bring that up, you know? Yeah, I mean, no, it's crazy. Like, we're so rich, and it's just, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. I just I was driving today, and I look as I drive past people, you know, and that's, like, oh, that truck, that's only like a 2021, you know? That's, yeah. that's not very new. Yeah. Um, there's just, money, and then there's, like, F you money, and that's what number one outdoor yeah. podcast is. Well, and I, that's what I think. People don't realize it's like you can be humble, but then like you could just not too, you know. Right. And I, you know, I think it'll be awesome when we unveil our private jet, our Gulf Stream. That's going to be so cool with past the barb on the side of it. And yeah, yeah, and you know, we're just happy, thankful, really, to be here. Yeah, I would say hashtag blast almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah blast. The good yeah. Lord has smiled down upon us, and uh, man, it feels feels good. So. Yeah. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention. So we're missing we're missing two of our two of our key players tonight. We're missing uh, we're missing Bart tonight. He's uh, some vacation. I think he went to Bass Pro Shop or something. I didn't really get the full details on that. Yeah, Bass Pro Shopper or he rolled his ankle. I thought he rolled his ankle. Maybe he rolled his ankle at Bass Pro Shop. I don't know. He told us. I mean, he said can't talk getting on a plane. So but what does that mean? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, what, where are you going? What's he doing? But yeah, I, no, I, I could have swore no. he rolled his ankle. I don't He's know. definitely MIA. And uh, and then Cody Hunter, uh, you know, absentee tonight. And uh, there's a little bit of a backstory there because he was uh, going to be kind of one of our uh, key players tonight. But sounded like somebody may have cut a finger off at a job site. And, you know, next man up mentality. He had to step up and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, what Ryan, you know? I, ha- I have I have the text right here. Uh, main guy in Menominee just cut a finger off, and I'm next in line to stay at work. Uh, won't be able to make it tonight. Sorry, guys. That's true passion for the job right there. <sighs> it's at least a good excuse. Adam had a rolled ankle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're playing. I mean, we're thin right now. There's <laughs> tourniquets in Menominee right now. Okay. <laughs> we're definitely thin. We're definitely thin. <laughs> There's guys shaking hands out there like this right <laughs> yeah, now. Exactly. So, I've always thought it would be cool to lose a finger, you know? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Like, I think that would do be it. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it happened it to could, me, I wouldn't be that pissed about it. Especially in Montana, I feel like as you're meeting, you know, women at, at the local mm-hmm. spot, you, you walk up you to a, them like, oh, yeah, that's, an, that's a conversation starter. <laughs> oh, what happened? Oh, it's it was no big deal, really, at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They yeah. sent me home early. That was just the in, just the point of the index. You know what I mean? Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> it's really fine. It's It's okay. So the others still work <laughs> right on. So that that's what we're rolling tonight. We do. We have actually two special guests tonight, which incredible that we pulled yeah. this off, right? <laughs> two and one. T- wow. All 
All right. So I'm going to, I'm bringing in one now. So we're bringing in a uh, good buddy, Cole Pint here joining us tonight in the, uh, bleak, bleak going, living fellas? room. Yeah. As you can, if anybody <laughs> yeah. who's watching like uh, the video, they can see antlers and just, you know, memorabilia of animals dead in the background. Then Cole Pin is just on a white yeah. wall, but little do you know, Cole Pin is a stone cold killer of the yeah, South Metro he's Minnesota. Got, he's got, he's got some stories to tell. Let's just yeah. say that. Ladies and gentlemen, let's oh, do a yeah. round of applause for Cole Pin. Yeah, let's do a little round of applause. Happy day. Thank you. His, uh, you know, this is his string. Past the Barb debut. Unreal. Unreal. I don't so know. I don't know what to say. It goes well, bud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed here, boys. We could, we could do a little intro to Cole, but I'd rather just ask the question, Cole, tell us a little bit about yourself right away. So the, the people at home got a good background story on kind of you, who you are, how we all know each other, and then we'll just roll with it. Um, well, it goes back a ways, I guess. So met Sam just before going to college when we went to the same college, we were roommates. Um, and then actually met Stolsky in college as well in lacrosse at, uh, at Oktoberfest. So those two were kind of college. Weird. Then Pinkala I met somewhere in between there. I don't remember if I met him while we were still in college. Um, at point, we at ice point, fishing. for sure. Well, it was either that or ice fishing a, a crappie spot at some point. I know I, I met One him. One of those two. I knew him during college, but I don't know if I met him when he came came to point uh, to visit us and just drink waters and stuff or if it was ice fishing. But yeah, so it's kind of these four here are kind of just like met him throughout college, hunting and fishing. Uh, and we all... Kind of grew up in the same general area of Minnesota. I mean, a little bit spread out, but so yeah. I, I will say, I think the first time I ever met Cole Pint, we were at a barn party, and we we were young cats, and I I think I'd already attended maybe a year or two at Stevens Point, and and one of my roommates walked up to me and they're like, "Dude, this this kid's from Montgomery, Minnesota. He's coming to Point next year." And I was like, "Right on, buddy." And I never spoke another word again to him. Mm -hmm. And then and then we got to college and became really good buddies. But yeah, I was like. That's they lived across awesome. the hall from each other. It was wild. Yeah. yeah. And three yeah. years together in a house. And then Stolsky's place once a year. That was pretty yeah. rowdy, but. Yeah, the an the annual pilgrimage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. But let's right get into on. it. Let's Yeah, let's get into it a little bit. So uh, I guess before we bring in guest number two, I just want let's just go around the horn. Kind of what have you guys been up to? Uh, since we recorded last, I wasn't even here on the last one. So, uh, I, I can just lead it off quick. Uh, I have been doing a little bit of traveling out during the last, uh, time we recorded, I was out West out in Colorado, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but I actually, uh, didn't deer hunt at all in Minnesota, which is like, I don't think I ever did that before. So I feel like kind of a douche for like coming on here to talk about deer hunting and I didn't even go, but, um, well, uh, yeah. So I just been kind of getting things unpacked, getting repacked for another trip. Uh, the Thursday I'm leaving to go out by, by Stolsky actually out in Montana, do a little mule deer hunting action. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, we launched the crappie Chronicles season, uh, like a week this past week. First episode was out. We had a huge party at Thorn, which was super cool. Like, I don't know how many people came, but it was a lot. And we had a beer tent, dude. It was going off. It was a pretty fun time. So that was super fun. A lot of fans came out to that, which is always like mind blowing that people like come to like talk to you. I don't know why, but like they, they showed out, dude. It was sick. So I was hyped on that. And I know all the other boys were too. So that's kind of, 
that's been my past couple weeks. Pinkal is such a humble dude. I I know he's he's feeling bad. He hasn't deer hunted yet, but he has. I don't even want to know two, three, four chest freezers at home that are just piss packed with meat. Yeah, he could he could be. I mean, Pinkala feeds the ten thousand. Pinkala feeds the five thousand. Whatever it may be, he's got more meat than all of us combined, hands down. I'd put my freaking kidney on it. But um, he's been he's been elk cutting his butt off in Colorado, and we're gonna get into that. Maybe this podcast, if not, I really we need to dedicate some serious time to talk about him and his dad and, and what went on there. I don't want to give anything away, but we'll fair, yeah, we'll get into yeah. it. We'll get into it. Yeah. How about but, current events for you, Stolsky? Um, well, yeah, I think last time we spoke, I was, I think I was briefly, it was that last week or the week prior, maybe when I kind of got in for like 20 minutes. Um, I, yeah, I moved out of the barn, so I'm not in Craig proper anymore. Now I'm down in Helena uh, with living with Joe, my brother. Um, so yeah, that's been good. And then I've just been kind of, uh, kind of in the in-between time. So I'm, I'm not, uh, actively guiding right now. So I have like a, about got a month window really where I'm not working and then I'll go to Idaho in December, but it's been really nice. I've just been hunting a lot and, uh, got my antelope killed. So did Joe. And then, um, besides that been elk hunting a lot, but just haven't, haven't really had much success been kind of getting my ass kicked on the elk hunting front but uh going mule deer hunting leaving tonight actually joe is on his way back from work so as soon as he gets here i'll probably have to boogie and leave but um yeah so it's been kind of nice yeah just having some time off been fishing quite a bit too just for fun which has been awesome and uh yeah weather's been really nice too nice actually you know we got all that snow and now it's all gone so well i had no idea your brother moved to montana what is he doing yeah, so he's been in Helena for I think coming up on two years now, two years this spring. He's a he's a civil engineer, so he is he's much oh, he's smarter, a- much smarter than I am for <laughs> sure. Yeah, uh, way, <laughs> way more stable career path. Um, but yeah, so he's been out here for two years, so it's it's been actually really nice because even when I was living up in Craig at the barn, you know, that's only oh shit. 45 minutes away from him down here so like he, he, we'd go fishing and, and stuff like that so um, did he want to land a job in montana or did it just end up that way yeah he looked at a few different places he applied to like uh you know a couple different engineering firms out here and then he went to school in south dakota so a few out there as well and then got this offer from this company here and uh he's really been liking it and and uh, it's been going good and he gets to kind of be on a lot of like construction sites which he likes you know so you're not just like in the office all the time so he's digging it man he's crushing it so yeah that's awesome yeah works out good for big brother too because i didn't really want to winter (laughs) over in the barn so (laughs) just just over the mule or what well that place really isn't winterized i mean it it stays warm but like towards the end there i mean i think i sent you guys some pictures i mean we got dumped on with snow and i got oh yeah for like two days that road to get there, it's just like four miles of dirt and it's really switchbacky. And so it's, you get kind of stranded there in the winter, just talking to like my neighbors and stuff. And I was like, eh, I really yeah. don't want to, don't really want to do that. You know? So yeah. What, what, what was the mouse total? Where'd you end up there? I, I think my total, I was definitely in double digits. I want to say <laughs> between me and, and Chase who lived underneath me, um i bet we were in the 20s maybe upper 20s but right um, on dude yeah it was, it. Pretty, it was pretty good and uh, soby i know you've been on the trap line as well 
Um, but Absolutely. yeah, it was, it was a good harvest there. And, and actually towards the end, I think we got them pretty good. Cause I didn't get one for like the last week I was there. I could yeah. hear them in the ceiling, but they weren't getting in. So Rupp wow. was on probably dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right so, yeah, they're chasing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're a, they're a wily critter. I got to give them that. So, yeah, right on. All right, so Cole, I know you haven't been on here before, but give us—I don't want you to get into like any stories right now, but just give us a little rundown. You've been doing some hunting, and what else has been up? Oh uh, yeah, basically spent the last month kind of wishing I had some more tags in my pocket. Um, <laughs> I've never really done a whole lot of out-of-state hunting besides just like waterfall in North and South Dakota. Um, and then hunted in Wisconsin back when I went to college there, but, um, got my deer a little bit early this year and then filmed my, filmed my mill brother, um, went bear hunting earlier this fall. And, uh, basically, yeah, since I got my buck, I've just been wishing I had more tags in my pocket. So all my buddies who I waterfall hunt with have kids now. And it's weird mm-hmm. how, like when you have a kid, <laughs> You can't go scouting five out of seven days a week. So that doesn't make any sense. I know. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So, um, a lot of wishing I had more tags in my pocket, eating a lot of jerky, a lot of summer sausage. There you go. Yeah. Stuff like that. So, what'd you do with that bear you got? Um, so I did a lot of summer sausage. We actually ate. So, when we went up for baiting, we bought, we brought up a bunch of bacon grease and we didn't bring butter. We didn't bring cooking oil. We didn't bring anything. Cause we just like, we brought up a bunch of cold, like lunch meat. And that's all we were going to eat when we were up there. So I actually made all the back straps when we were up there, just in bacon Ooh, grease with salt and pepper. Hell and yeah. amazing. Ooh. I had never eaten bear before. So it was super good. Um, so all I really had left was like the roast, which we did jerky out of, and then a bunch of scrap meat. So, um, how, how was Pretty bear backstraps opposed to like venison backstraps? It was, I would say it's super similar. Um, a bear is way more fatty just in general, but the backstraps, I mean, super similar. If I would have had them side by side, I would have been able to tell a difference, but just like eating bear and not having anything to compare it to, it was pretty tough to compare it. Yeah. Um, well, and the thing with yeah. bear is like the fat is really good to eat. Unlike venison fat, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, it renders down nice. It's really, really good fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was completely new for me. First time I'd ever eaten bear, just like straight, not like mixed or anything like that. So yeah, that's were, awesome, were, dude. Were the bear back straps giant? Like, were they bigger than, than, than like a big bucks or no? The the bear I shot was probably like a two or three year old male. It wasn't huge by any means. It was probably like 200 pounds, maybe a little bit over. Um, so I'd say it was honestly pretty similar to like a, like a deer back strap. Sweet. It wasn't, it wasn't, I'm sure if you shot like a huge boar, they might be a little bit a little bit thicker but yeah, yeah. Did you, what, Cole, did you save the hide did you are you gonna did you cape it out and are you gonna do like a rug or anything so if i would have there we had a cinnamon on camera that if i would have shot that i was gonna cape it out and do a rug um other than that i wasn't gonna shoulder mount anything unless it was huge um the zone i go to it's every four years you can get drawn so if you get a good one it's worth mounting it because you, you won't go again for a while but it was 95 when we were hunting um <laughs> shot it with the bow recovered it like an hour later and we just wanted to get it get the guts out of it and get it in a cooler so have you guys yeah, ever like seen a bear like when it's totally like taped out all the skin is off it they're so they look they're human like when they mm-hmm. have the hide on them it's really bizarre i mean they it's just, like they have like i mean like it's biceps it's, yeah, it's it's crazy yeah, <laughs> yeah they, crazy. was that was that your first bear yeah that was the first time i had ever seen right a bear on. while hunting bear yeah it was that's awesome it was well, crazy. congrats, dude. That's bad. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Congrats. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I'd right love on. to, I'd love to do like a, 
a spot and stock or some type of hunt like that at some point obviously alaska would be sick but oh right um so yeah i'll take what i can get at this point in northern (laughs) minnesota yeah sweet right on all right well let, let's get into this a little more. So, like I said, we, we do have another guest here and I'm going to bring him yeah. in now. So, uh, we got a, like I said, we got a full squad here. So, uh, special guest number two coming to you here from Minnesota. Also, we got Mr. Mav Jost coming in here. What let's up, give a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank where, you. Thank where, you. Where are you times. at in the world, dude? Right now I'm in uh, Hermantown, Minnesota, home base. Right on, dude. Right up in the Duluth Northwoods. What do you What have you been doing recently? I know we'll get into a whole bunch of stuff here, but like, what, what have you been doing the past couple of weeks? Uh, no, well, no, 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 no. Pause, pause. What were you doing tonight? Oh, what was yeah. I doing tonight? I, so let. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> so, yeah, what, what What was the hang up here? Because initially you were telling me one time, then all of a sudden you could come earlier, and I was wondering, <laughs> did. Did something fall through here, or what? What was going on here? That uh, man, I was just getting dinner with my parents, bro. I was just getting dinner with my parents, man. I uh, I had a I had a long day cleaning up my shop from deer remnants, and uh, I was mopping the floor. And my parents texted me at about four o'clock, about when I got texted to get on this podcast, and they're like, "Hey, you want to grab dinner?" I was like, "That sounds good." And I was just I was playing it safe. Usually, I'm fashionably late to things, and didn't want to be fashionably late to this. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. What's her name? What's her name? We'll get it out of you later. My my mom's name Cheryl. She's a saint. Your mom's a saint. Don't don't do that. Don't her. you bring don't you bring her name up on this pod. <laughs> right on, dude. Okay. Well, like like I said, what what have you kind of been up to recently? And uh I know it's been a while since probably any of us really caught up. So um, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I just got back from Colorado not too long ago. It was my first time going on like a big game hunt. Um, we were out there for second rifle elk, um, and out in the Rockies for eight days, grinding it out, trying to figure, make something happen, make a play. Um, and then came back home and ended up sitting for whitetail for, uh, first, first rifle open in, uh, Minnesota and, Got a couple deer down. Nothing crazy, Hell but yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so what uh I mean, look, because you've been you've been hunting like up you have a place up there, right? Yeah, I've got 20 acres just north of Duluth that right I've been on. uh kind of managing and put some trail cameras up last year. Um last year was my first time like really hunting it. Um I basically bought the land because I had a pole barn on it and I have a bunch of weird vehicles that I got to store. So that was the first initial reason that I bought it. And then I was like, Hey, I mean, it's not bad to have 20 acres. I might want to see what's going on out here. And, uh, I hadn't hunted for a few years and, uh, my first couple sits, I ended up sitting on a bucket out there. We're seeing some, some deer action. And I was like, Oh, we might have something here and got my, uh, first trail camera pictures of some bucks that year and had one come up and make a scrape about 40 yards away. And of course I didn't have a lane cut. So it's playing, uh, plan property management for last year and couldn't make the pieces come together. So it feels good to have some meat in the freezer this year for sure. Yeah. That's, that's good awesome, action dude. last year though. But even just to like observe yeah. and see that stuff and like that, I feel like that's better than not seeing anything at all. You're just like, they're there, you know, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've, I haven't been on many pieces of land where I see as much like natural transition as my property, even though it's only 20 acres, like I have a lot of trail coming through there and for whatever reason, deer are moving up and down through the ridge lines. Um, 
my property is relatively flat and they seem like they're coming down and up like periodically throughout the season. So, you know, once the rut's on, anything can happen. Oh yeah. Even the guy behind me has got 600 acres, but if I'm hitting one at, on my 20. <laughs> so is that, is, is that like totally new to you or had you done some of that stuff before? Like, you know, kind of like some of the property management and like managing for deer and stuff. Yeah, really. I didn't grow up like in a hunting family. I mean, we'd go, shoot pheasants with shotguns and I grew up with pellet guns and stuff. And, you know, there's not really any prep work that goes into that, but this is my first time, like, you know, diving into hunting myself and trying to make a plan. Um, I had Sobe, Sobe was there when I was learning how to shoot my bow about four years ago. And that was the first time I'd actually ever, you know, hunted for anything bigger than like rabbits and uh, like squirrels and stuff. And it was definitely a learning process. And I had the uh, pleasure of like, you know, having people kind of give me a game plan and stands are already set and trail cameras are already done. It's like, here, go with your bow and make sure you can shoot. Well, try to put something down and ended up making it happen out in Wisconsin and kind of got the bug. And so in the back of my head, I was just like, you know, I got to kind of figure it out for myself. And it wasn't until last year that it kind of just started happening. That's sweet. And I have, I have to ask this before we go any Mm -hmm. further. Did you ever get that, that deer back? Yeah. So I haven't, I have this Euro mount has been here since I shot that buck. That's my, that's my first deer that I have. That's how I remember it. I drew it up in my brain <laughs> and I actually have it. I have it now, in inside my home right now. That's super weird because, um, I did that Euro mount and I actually gave it <laughs> Thank you. to, Co- I would say, I would say Sobiak. You co-did did it. it. Co- what are you talking about? There's a video of you not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I watched that video. I got to see my my Euro mount from afar. It's we have a long distance relationship right now. I promise you, your Euro mount is in great condition, and it is in the back of of my parents' shed, and it is beautiful. and And I did Perfect watch Ryan just scoop the brains out as I was mm. capturing him doing probably the dirtiest of the dirty work, and it yeah. turned out phenomenal. And it's dude, it's there, and it's beautiful. And it's your first bow buck, dude. Like I, dude, I was thinking about this. And it's literally stand. rotting away in the Sobe homestead. No, no, it's not <laughs> rotting away. I'm, it make me sick. <laughs> no, and it is your first bow buck, and you need that in your you need that in your crib, 100. percent Yeah, that is 100%. on me. Yeah. Well, Ryan and Sobe, I owe you both a big thank you for doing that year amount because I actually just finished up my first one doing the boil and the cut and everything, and I realized how much work goes into something like that. So how thank did, you how did it for go? taking care of that. I, it, it went well. It went well. Everybody that's trying to do it at home, uh, don't boil, simmer. Don't don't let simmer. your skulls get too hot because you you're gonna fracture some stuff. You don't need to be fracturing. Oh yeah. Did the teeth and, uh, fall out on you? No, I'd say oh, right I'd on. say too. Invest in a pressure washer. Yes. The pressure yeah. washer helps. So yes. yeah, I, I actually did it. I did it in like a day. I probably boiled for four hours. I got one last boil to do. There's still a little little brain matter, a little funk on it, and some of the fat. Funk. You'll yeah, get it. You'll get it. Need a good ratio of Dawn dish soap and some hot water. Nothing, nothing little time won't fix. TLC. Oh, yeah. You'll, but, you'll get her. I'm but there is some got to be super like, because when I watched Ryan do for the first time, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, you really get to realize how much junk is in there and when it all gets out. And then when you see it come to a full clean product at the end, it's like, damn, that's really cool. And I feel like when yeah. you look at that Euro mount after you see and, and you know the process, you've done it like, you're going to be like, hell yeah, every time, just because you know everything that went into it because you scraped the damn brains out. Yeah, even though it's a forky, it looks better when you don't have all the fur on it. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is satisfying <laughs> when it's done and they come yeah. out nice and clean and everything. That is sick. I'm so, always surprised about, I was surprised about how much fat's behind the eyes. Oh, right. It's yeah. Crazy. Like back in, yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I want you to learn like a little bit of the, well, I can't say technically that I've learned the anatomy. You're just like, there's a bunch of stuff right there. Like, yeah. I don't know what, what it yeah. is or what yeah. it does, but like, it's there. Craziness. So, yeah, what what cool happened process. to Stolsky? Is he, is he done? His computer died and he, I think is looking for the cord currently. So we're, okay. well, you know, whatever we're on the, the you know, shorthand. Yeah. Well, we'll see, <laughs> but all right. So before we go any further, I do, I do just want to say, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people listening to pass the barb right now are pretty familiar with what you do. Uh, you know, as far as like YouTube and social media stuff. Um, but just give us a little breakdown. I mean, you are like the, uh, you know, nomadic camping extraordinaire currently on YouTube right now. <laughs> and, uh, I think it's badass what you're doing. I mean, we all love kind of like seeing your progress and how far you've gone from like when you started to where you're at now is pretty awesome. And, um, just kind of give us like, I guess from your perspective, kind of like where you're at kind of just like a, a summary, I guess, of like your, your career to this point. Yeah, appreciate yeah. that, Ryan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, started the channel like something like four years ago now. Um, just really wanted to figure out how to fish and travel on the cheap and how to do it in kind of a untraditional way, if you will. Um, and just started making videos documenting, you know, how to travel. And I built out a truck camper, started doing some trips out west. Uh, got to go to Montana for my first time, do some fly fishing out there. And um made it out to the Sierras in California and got to see some really cool stuff and kind of fell in love with the idea of just traveling around and tried to keep building YouTube videos and keeping people interested along the way. And it's kind of just built into what it is now. Uh, I have like, I think I'm up to seven camping vehicles now trying to renovate and do random things with each. I got two that are operational right now, fully Uh, got a lot of hoopties that are constant projects, but you know, (laughs) That's gonna be half the fun, right. though. It is. It is half the fun, but I mean, man, keeping up with tabs and everything on them, making sure batteries are charged. My door latch on my F one fifty just went out the other day, so I'm driving down the street and my passenger door is just flying open. It's, you know, more vehicles, more problems. It's got a motor. It's gonna. It's gonna get messed up at some point. So how do you how do you determine what you're gonna get? Because I've seen a few of the ones that you got. I'll say in the past year or so, that yeah. are definitely like. You had to be like looking for that. Like, <laughs> I how- definitely- <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to know. Were you looking, or did it kind of pop up, and you're like, "Oh, dude, I should get that." Or yeah, were you, no, were you looking? That's usually looking? that's usually how it goes. So, like, I mean, nobody's really googling a, a Volkswagen Beetle with a camper on the back, you know. So it's like, I, I can't come up with these things. I, some people send me posts on Facebook Marketplace, and I'll be like, "Oh, that's kind of cool," and then that's kind of cool turns into me buying it. That's how yeah. it happened with the bug. Some friend yeah. from college just texted me it, and I'm like, shoot, that thing's three grand? Sure, let's go. Deal. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> deal. But yeah, I mean, I'm not usually really like looking, but like some of the ones that I got, so I have this, uh, we call it the Arnado. It's a 69 Tornado with a original V8 engine, and somebody fastened a, a vintage Airstream on the back. So it's got a 60s Airstream with a, a Arnado front, and it's drivable. It's the only drivable Airstream. It's one of one. 
And I actually found that on Facebook because people, it was going gangbusters on Facebook. People were like posting it because they had a for sale sign on the side of the road. It's in some little town in Illinois, actually not little town. It's South Bend. That's where Notre Dame is. But um, it had this little for sale sign in it and it went viral on Facebook, like 700, like 7,000 shares plus. And uh, I saw it and I noticed the little for sale sign and I like zoomed in and saw a phone number. I ended up calling the guy and the... I was just in conversation with him for like seven months because I was like, you know, I didn't want to spend what he was asking for it. And I was waiting to see if somebody else would buy it. And sure enough, seven months later, it's still for sale. And so I kind of swept in and picked it up. And that's been our, our latest project. We're actually working on fixing that one up at the shop right now. And then uh, I don't know all the other ones. It's just like, I, I like stuff with character. Like I have a Japanese camper van that I ended up picking up sometime last year we renovated it too um it's a right hand drive five speed you gotta sit on the other side of the car and you're shifting <laughs> with your left hand you know driving stick and it's fun i mean i like i like old vehicles i like stuff with character and stuff that you know people might want to be entertained by yeah and well and i mean I, you did kind of make one like not like pos caliber purchase of a vehicle not that long ago yeah and so i mean Give, give us a little, a little, I mean, I'm not like a big car guy or whatever, but yeah. there are people that can definitely appreciate what this thing is. So yeah, I had a, I bought a Mercedes C63S. Um, it's a 2020 and I got that last year because honestly I was, I was like, I drive so much for work and I'm driving these like kind of harsh on you vehicles. I want to like enjoy driving and I've always liked cars and it's been, it was a dream car for a while. And I was like, can, can treat myself. And so I ended up getting that and I put a stage two tune on it, took some of the, some of the cats out of it, which, uh, if you're, if you're a police officer, you're, you didn't hear that they're still in there, but, um, the, <laughs> we'll cut that. Six, we'll cut that for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Good. <clears throat> six, 600 horsepower. And I think it's a zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds. Have you but, opened it up? Uh, Play the fifth on that one. Just, no. <laughs> that was the right no. answer. That's a hard <laughs> yes. I will say the little hype video you made after you got it, I thought was. <laughs> oh, that video was awesome. <laughs> With the minion was, boots, the minion yeah. Ugg boots. Yeah. That was unreal. pretty funny. Well done. That was fun. It's all fun. Yeah. But it's nice to have a little bit of enjoyment when you're, when you're going on road trips for with big clunky vehicles and having that speed. It's definitely something to get used to. It's like a little tiny cockpit. I feel like I'm in an airplane, but it's fun. Yeah, sweet. So beyond cars, I gotta ask you, you've traveled so many places, you've gone so many, you've gone everywhere. If you had to list top three, like best places to be or most beautiful, just like top three places. And maybe that's not even a suggestion for other people to go there, but just top three places that stood out to you where you're like, damn, dude, like these are my top three. Yeah. Um, so last year I went on a road trip out to Alaska. I drove from Duluth, um, through the Elkan up to, uh, Prudhoe Bay, which is like the start of the Trans-American highway. Um, that's the highway that goes from the tip of Alaska all the way down to, uh, South America, like down to, uh, I want to say it's like the tip of Brazil or something like that. Argentina. We don't, we don't, we don't pride ourselves on geography here. Anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I would say the Yukon is really up there. Like that area is gorgeous. It's like right before you uh, end up getting into Alaska through Canada. And it is 
insane. I was there last year uh, during fall colors. It was just all golden, just giant mountains, nobody around for miles. I mean, you're, you're driving on a two lane supposed to be like one of the biggest highways in the world. And you're just alone for miles and miles. I was, I was like pulling over last minute on the side of the road to take a leak. And like, I could park in the middle of the road and I wouldn't see anybody for like 15 minutes coming <laughs> that's in the direction. Crazy. So. That's like no man's land. Yeah, that place true. is really cool. I would say, uh, like Homer, Alaska is also up there. I just really like, um, the fishing up there is great. Scenery is awesome. Um, and I would say it's kind of lame to have that. We'll, we'll kind of combine those two that, that road trip in general is just sure. pretty special. Um, I would say the Maine. Maine was super gorgeous. I was in Bangor and like on the side of, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Bangor, Maine, it's like coastal. Um, that area is super gorgeous. I spent some time out there last year on a little road trip and say the Eastern Sierras in California that slept on. I feel like That's a lot of people picture California as like LA and some people, even that live in Cali, haven't even been up to the Sierras and, you know, you have like Yosemite and lots of good trout fishing rivers up there. And I had a, had a lot of fun. Um, the first couple of years of doing the truck camp and nomad stuff, just hanging out there and doing some fishing and living, so when, a, living a slower Californian life. When you, when you started kind of poking around more, cause there was like a, for a while there, I mean, not that you've really like slowed down, but you, it seemed like you were constantly like somewhere totally different. Like every time yeah. I saw anything from you, uh, like how, how are you like picking a direction or how are you figuring out where you're going to go? Or you, are you like just connecting with people that are like your fans or what? It's usually like spur of the moment stuff. So I'll have like one objective in mind and then it's kind of just the trip along the way. So for instance, like the first couple of times I went out um, on road trips, I was planning on, you know, I had an end destination in California. One was Sausalito and I was just like, I want to do the road trip for a while. I'd visited that area of California before and I was like, it'd be pretty cool to like see what's between Minnesota and there. And uh, just kind of started documenting all the states that I visited, try to find like cool stuff to stop at along the way. And, pretty soon a day turns into a week and a week turns into a month and you know, you're in random places and meeting people and going on fun adventures. So it's been a, it's been a trip. Yeah. Get, sure. Can you, so I did hear a little bit about um, when you went, I think it was some combination of like Mexico and California where you had some truck issues. Like yeah. just give me a little bit of that. Cause I, I heard this kind of secondhand and I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, well, I ended up, this was like two years ago now, I drove down to uh, Cabo San Lucas uh, from Minnesota. So I like, I stopped in California for a couple of weeks and then I like finally started making my trek down there. I was uh, in Baja for a little over a month. And if you're not familiar, Baja, Mexico is the little peninsula that comes off below California, um, like the little peninsula on Mexico. But I ended up uh, being out there for a month and man, that was gorgeous. It was super fun. Lots of great fishing out there. Fun food. Um, got to learn how to surf. Went yellowtail fishing. That was fun. Are you good but... at surfing? <laughs> no. Good I don't know for, if you're good, good for, are you good for a beginner. At least. I don't know if you can call it. I do surfing. It's like, it's like a lot of this and panic and then trying to stand up and falling over. I got up a couple times, but I own a surfboard. You snowboard, you fingerboard. Tell me you're pretty good at surfing for a beginner. I, I can I can get up on a surfboard sometimes. Okay, that's pretty good. But we'll we'll see. 
We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Try, we'll go on Lake Superior this this February. Get our dry suits on, and we'll get some icicles on our noggins. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, that trip, I ended up uh getting a rat that moved into my vehicle, and uh, so into the truck. Not, yeah, not into the mouse, truck. Not a mouse, a rat. A uh, full blown field rat. So that thing was probably oh. yay big. So what happened? I actually so. My uh, my good friend Adam Demarkey, he was getting married that year, and he asked me to be his best man. Um, super super uh, grateful for that. I ended up uh, flying back home, left my truck in Mexico for the bachelor party, and so my truck sat idle in a random field at a man that I had known like loosely for like a week in his in, uh, in his field. Yeah, in Mexico. Yeah, just hanging out, and uh, got back, realized I'd left some food hanging out in the in the truck when I had left and three weeks later I have rotten food in my in my uh in my refrigerator that I have in my truck and I open the door and there's a rat greeting me. And so he ran off when I first saw him and I thought he like, you know, somehow found his little hole that he went through and like got out of the truck. So I was like, oh he's gone. It only took a couple of days of me finding rat droppings and things new things chewed on in my truck to realize that he was still with me. So he caused a whole bunch of problems. He ended up chewing a lot of wirings inside the engine bay. I had uh, I had to drive back from Cabo San Lucas to San Diego, which I think is like, I don't remember. I think it's like an 18-hour drive, maybe longer, honestly, maybe 24, but in limp mode in my truck. And if you don't know what limp mode is, it means you can't go over 50. Ooh. So he chewed some wires that were to some sensors that my truck thought it was broken. And here's here's the real catch, though. So... I drive this thing back home. I did the drive in four days, right back to San Diego. And I get back to San Diego and I am sure that this thing's gone, right? Like I, I feel like it's gone. I drop it off at the, at the place that's going to fix my car. They put down those, like, you know, those little paper mats, like that say that the floor is clean or whatever. So like when they're working on it, like they keep their boots off the ground yep. sitting in the drivers, the driver's like floor. I come back to go pick some stuff out of my truck and there's rat chewings on the paper. <laughs> and so you've so, driven from Mexico, you're in California now. Yeah, I'm in California. So I smuggled this rat across the border. And uh, how, how is the border crossing with this truck that's like not even running right? And you're like, well, dude, it was fine. So I, I actually crossed back in Tijuana and it was so busy. Like nobody in it's, I was stuck in like stopped traffic for two hours. Like people were trying to sell me like little chiclets and stuff like that. I mean, it was, it was chaos. Get across, get back across the border. And I get this truck dropped off. And so the mechanic, he, he ends up taking out my passenger seat when they're fixing it. The rat lunges at the mechanic. He smacked it on the head with a ratchet and killed it. <laughs> he killed He killed the Mexican rat. He killed the Mexican rat. He said it was, he said it was like the size of a small dog. So oh another another thing I failed to mention is that when I was still in Mexico, I ended up buying live trap. I had like death, like big big rat traps, like the regular like mouse traps that I've seen on your story, Soby. If you catching mice, I had those, but I had those sticky ones too. Okay, so I I put some sticky ones out under my driver's seat one night when I was camping because I just felt like maybe that rat could still be in there. You, you raged full war, yeah. He got stuck on it in the middle of the night and I can hear this thing thrashing around inside my truck bed. So I, I get out of my truck. I'm camping at a Mexican Walmart. I get out of my truck. I open up the back. I open up my door to find this thing. I'm fully expecting to see this full blown rat. And like, 
I don't, I must have had something in my hand, some sort of game plan. But I come up there, his tail's just sitting there, stuck on the trap. It's just his tail. Oh my God. He had chewed off his own tail. And this is the even more sick part. The thing came back later that night and ate its tail off the trap. Didn't get stuck. <laughs> Shut so, up. So when the mechanic killed it, I asked him, I was like, did it have a tail? And he's like, nope. So <laughs> that's how sure there wasn't two rats living in my truck. Because that was the cannibalistic. I don't know. What do you call that when it eats its own tail? Is that still cannibalism? Because that's uh, messed no up. I don't know. But that I don't is, even that think is... they have a word for that yet. Wow. <laughs> Self-cannibalism. Holy shit. But Whatever. that thing was a honker. I should have put that thing in my freezer. Um, oh, dude. You should have got a meat. rug. A rug made. Yeah. <laughs> in a sick full body. You know? I never even saw it dead, so it could still be living in there, honestly. Your oh, old mount is head. Yeah, that'd be perfect. I wish. Like, I wish put I it on the dash, dude. That would have been rugged. I wish I would have. That'd been sweet. Damn. And next time. Yeah, next time. No, there's always a next time, right? Right. Next time an animal moves in the vehicle. I feel God. like he, that was an incredible story, but I feel like it had to have been even so much more intense than you told because, like, anytime you're alone and you hear a noise, you know, you just like your senses are heightened and you're like yeah. alone in Mexico in your truck and you hear like, not a noise. You hear like a rat going ape shit on well, the real trap, or well, and the, you like, know he's there. That's the thing. Like you know he's there, there, but you kind of thought he was maybe gone, but you kind of knew he was there, and you kind of wish he wasn't there. But then you now know. But he's then you're like, sure we're there. dropping the gloves right now. Well, the terrible thing was is that I knew he had access to the bed of the truck. So this rat was using the frame of my truck to like travel throughout the length of the vehicle because there's like little tiny holes like you know underneath your bed. It's like where the supports like keep the bed up and so when i got in my bed for the first time like back after coming from that uh bachelor party there was like rat droppings like kind of on like the you know like where the topper meets the meets the bed um there's rat droppings up there so i knew he had access up there and so i'm trying to go to bed and i can hear this thing scurrying through the metal and i remember getting out of the truck and like trying to peer and like look under it and see if i could find it i never saw it but I could hear that thing just coming back and forth, coming up, chewing on something, going back, going back. And it was, it was chaos. I mean, it was like driving me nuts. I was like slapping stuff with sticks and trying to get it to spook out. I mean, there was no scaring it. I mean, I, I even bought like peppermint oil spray. I was spraying over everything, trying to scare it out. I mean, people say that that stuff's huge. It just like, once they get familiar with a place, it's impossible to get them to leave. It was, I have a similar story too, because I had a mouse that moved in shortly after when i was doing my truck rebuild like last summer or sorry last winter and it's this little mouse same thing thing was comfortable in my truck bed i ended up picking up the thing in the middle of the night throwing it out and it ran back up into my truck in the middle of the night like they just get comfortable with an area and they like they know how to get access to stuff and they don't want to leave it's crazy that it's kind of it's intense so i feel like if you're in montana like will is and the mice are getting in. I can understand that. It's starting to get cold up. If you're in Minnesota like we are, and the mice are getting in, I can kind of understand that. This herd bull rat some bitch moved into your truck in Mexico where he doesn't need that heat. He doesn't need that structure. And he just said no. It was no. personal. This, this is, is my home. This, this is mine. Yeah. This, this is, is mine. Yeah, this is my house. This is my house. The, okay, the other thing that you might want to know about rats is they love chewing on silicone. I had a I had a brand new, like pretty nice wooden framed fly fishing net in the back. I came back, thing chewed the whole net through. I mean, you can replace the bag, but like chewed all that. And that's why I went up to the wiring because they like just gnawing on silicone for some reason. Unreal. Terrible. God, that is unreal. Dude, so, and, and I think like 
part of that story was good because it's like a lot of the stuff you do, like you are flying solo. Like it's not mm. like you got three, four guys that you're traveling with or whatever. Like you meet up with people. I mean, I get that and everything, but like all this road time, dude, has just got to be crazy. Like I, I know how I get even on just like a 10, 12 hour rip, you know, just alone. And you're just like, man, <laughs> but yeah. to be on like the road for that long and just be like, just you, man, that's, that's some crazy stuff. It's a, it's a blessing and a curse altogether. You know, some days, some days you like it, some days you don't, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty nice because you can kind of, you know, decide places you want to stay at for extra long, where you want to visit and you're on your own timeline. So, you know, I wouldn't really have it any other way. That's kind of why I've been doing it the way I have. It's, it's kind of nice, you know, just being able to decide your day or month solo. Yeah. Do you, do you podcast heavy in the car or listen to audio books or like on, on wicked long road trips? Like if you are making that haul from Minnesota to Alaska, like what are you listening to? Metal. Lots of metal. <laughs> just, just death metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No really. wonder that rat was strong and pissed. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. the bodies hit the floor on repeat some, for three hours. some screaming. But no, like, I, I I listen to podcasts every now and again. Um, honestly, not as much as you'd think. I know a lot of people are big podcast people and, you know, helps them stay awake. But if if I'm knocking out, you know, a 12-hour day, I'm, I'm listening to something that's rattling my brain to keep me alive. Is, is that pretty typical or do you try to break it up more? Like, I mean, like say you're going to, I mean, I suppose it depends on the timeline, but yeah, I would say, so if I don't have to, um, I'll, I've been trying to slow down a lot more like in this last year and a half. Um, at the beginning I was, it wasn't uncommon for me to be doing 12 hour days for sure. Um, but there's a point where it's almost unenjoyable that way. It's nice to like slow down and kind of like be able to explore like a city or like you know go on a hike and try to fish some new water or something and um if you're driving that much i mean you're gassed at the end of it and it, it honestly it kind of affects you the next day too like your willingness to go do something you want to yeah. just like lay in bed and be lazy or whatever but um yeah i've slowed down a lot more recently i mean i'd say my cutoff right now is probably six hours if i want to like be doing something and you know get acquainted with the place but yeah if, if stuff needs to get done, don't get me wrong. I will, I will do a 12 hour road trip. Like this Colorado trip, we, we did it all in one night because I'm not really trying to spend, we weren't really trying to spend a night in anywhere on the way back. But, um, if it's like, you know, I'm going somewhere without a timeline, like to like to break it up a little bit. Nice. Do you think, do you think like, I mean, doing your thing kind of solo, but still having this like pretty, you know, I mean, you have a huge following right now. Is it, is your fan base like pretty active? Do you like, I mean, are, are you kind of like communicating with them or do you just kind of like keep that separate or how do you play that with, you know, I mean, I can't imagine like what your DMS are like, given the amount of people that follow you and everything. So, uh, I mean, does that play into kind of like your mindset for these traveling deals or not really? Not a whole lot. Usually the stuff that I'm planning is, um, like stuff that I've wanted to do for a while. Like Alaska is a good example of that. And so is Mexico. Um, there have been a couple incidents, incidences where like, I've just been like browsing my DMS and somebody's like suggested like a certain town, like when I'm in a similar area and I'll go check it out. A lot of that stuff usually happens for me off camera, unless I find something super interesting, but, um, yeah, pretty, pretty to myself as far as like DMS go. Cause sometimes you just, you don't really know what you're going to get 
with somebody yeah. and you know doing the whole solo <laughs> travel thing i'd rather like meet somebody in real life that you know i get along with and whatever happens like a good example would be i did a road trip into canada up to nova scotia last year and uh ran into this kid on the river and he was uh steelhead fishing and i was just having a heck of a time i mean i was trying my hardest to get a steelhead on a bead um up in sault st marie and he ended up being a viewer of the channel and um he's like hey me and my buddy nova hole about two hours north uh we were planning on going tomorrow if you want to tag along and ended up tagging along with them and we caught like four or five steelhead had a little campfire steelhead action made some dinner and camped out it was fun That's so stuff sweet. like that when it happens naturally is fun try to try to not dive into the dms too much but yeah. any like wild shit in there <laughs> like i mean i feel like with that many people you Dude, got to be a couple <laughs> i got there is there's some weirdness going on on the internet i'll tell you what that's i'll, I'll leave it at that but there's some come on give wild, us uh, there's people asking for feet pics I, I get like asked if i'm making only fans about every other hour of the day it feels like um you know maybe maybe in another life but man i don't know what, don't what would be. your price be today for for a foot pick, a really high quality iPhone foot pick. Just a private customer. He's this like, it's not the first time we've dove into this. No, on this no, we, we have so. asked other people this dude, name your price right now. He's like, you know, I'm, I don't know. You got $10? No, <laughs> no, no, come on. No, give no, it real. No. For real. Jack for real. Jack is that a foot pick? Oh, yeah, dude. Are you pick. kidding me? You got like all these foot picks or what? I'd, I'd, I'd probably send some feet picks for like 10 bucks or something. Damn. Dang, you got it. You feet. got it. This is feet, man. But putting putting some sandals. Probably got feet pics on my phone that I don't even know about right now. You got some like Birkenstocks, <laughs> shit, dude. That's hundred dollars. Some, some slides. Ah, ten bucks. Get you a get you a Big Mac meal. <laughs> Serious? You could feed yourself off a of foot pick. <laughs> get that rat in my car, maybe. Straight up. Buy another rat trap. You just like do it once, you know? No, I don't know, man. The the whole like as soon as like. I'm, I'm fine like posting pictures in like sandals and stuff and then like i get a foot pick like request yeah i'm like what, like, what is going on here i don't like it just it's weird people are people are crazy <laughs> those are wicked stories oh God. We, okay. we're gonna we're gonna come back to some more mav stories i want to freaking move it along to will's wiki finds we, we've been having some fan interaction here and they they need to hear from will and we've had some requests so i'm, I'm gonna do a quick leak break but will you can take it over from here there's there's been some cool interactions and something you found recently that needs to be talked about. Yeah. Let me see if it, do you have it pulled up? Ryan? I, I do. To... I do. So this is like, I, I didn't think you probably had one. Do you have one or no? It's fine. Well, you not as good. I, okay. no, let's do this one. I like this. All guy right. That so, this. so yeah, this, I don't know if we've done a Will's wiki find in a little while. So th this is kind of something that kind of came about from Will just kind of stumbling around on the interwebs. And finding some pretty crazy stuff. So um, we've had uh, we've had some people submit some things. So this is coming to us uh, from a fan here. Um, this is uh, Adam Cunningham dropping us a line saying, "Boys, you got to talk about this." So this is uh, apparently a thing. So Amsterdam Airport. Haven't been there, but apparently this was something that started there, and it sounds like it's spread maybe more globally since then, but it sounds like sometime in the nineties, they started etching a, uh, like a fly, like a life-size fly into the base bottom area of the urinal 
to keep people from pissing on the floor. And uh, apparently, this is a big deal. This is like some Nobel Prize winning type shit that's happening that nobody's talking about. So the uh, the thing that I saw on it was that they were saying uh, they call. So I, there's also a New York Post article about this exact thing. Of course, I had to look it up once they sent it into us. So went down the rabbit hole on it a little bit. And so when it started, it was just like, you know, a janitor guy or whatever there that was like, this is what we got to do. And somehow this is going to work. And uh, 80% reduction in pissing on the floor while I'm putting a fake fly in there. Pretty good numbers. I would say but the most interesting thing is that they said uh, it only uh, reduced their like cleaning costs by 8% only. So apparently pissing on the floor is not the biggest problem at the Amsterdam airport, but uh, there's like a whole bunch of articles about like the psychology of why this works. I didn't get into all that, but apparently if by doing that, it makes people want to piss on it. I don't know. I think it makes sense. I mean, when you're at a urinal and if usually though, I've never seen like a fly, but you know, it's usually like a Zen or like someone's chew. <laughs> like, yeah. like an organically placed target item. Yeah. It's a, tar- it's a yeah. target. No doubt. Right. I, will, yeah. I will tell you. So I, I just got back from a trip from Europe like a month ago and out there they have these like urinal cakes that have like, a soccer net on it and it's got a little soccer ball so you can piss and hit the soccer ball into the net you can Get play piss soccer out of here. yeah so we we're talking about a goddamn fly and they got air hockey in the pisser piss soccer <laughs> yeah foosball in the in the urinal that's yeah Man, what about uh what like about our people next more real real uh story about a, a target while pissing that happened oh, at your house back no. in the day this is kind of wild oh boy here we go uh-oh we might have to cut this out, but we're going to tell it. Yeah, we'll cut it out. I feel like, yeah, it goes back to what the WikiLeaks, it goes back to Ryan saying, it goes back to what Mavs saw in Europe. If a man sees a target and he has a stream out, you know, he's he's aiming full force. He's going to hit it, yeah. And, yeah. and shortly after Steph and I bought our little home here, Cole came over and, and we were having a couple cold barley pops and we were enjoying our cool. evening playing some cards. And, and I gone outside is a beautiful, I want to say June evening. And there is like this frog right next to where I'm going to the bathroom. In fact, I was going on top of this frog unintentionally <laughs> because you know how you like walk Come outside. On. I swear on everything. I was looking statistically. Up the- this has got to be almost impossible. I know, but people win the Powerball every week. Okay. Well, I'm looking at do I'm they? looking up at the stars and I look down and I'm going to the bathroom and it is like, like right near this frog's head, dude. And he doesn't move. He's just taking it. And I'm losing my mind laughing to myself out there. <laughs> and I go inside and I tell Cole, I'm like, dude, I just peed on a frog's head and it was unintentional. And he liked and, it. And he liked it. And he liked, he liked it. it. Yeah. And Cole's laughing. And then he had to go. So he goes outside. And then he does the same exact thing. I literally, the, I, I peed to the left of the frog and the frog jumped into the stream to get under it and enjoy it. it this yes. is no joke. And I watched it with my the frog eyes. loved dude. it. It was, and, and we were like, you know, we're, we're witnessing, you know, National Geographic at its finest in Southern Minnesota, um, <laughs> near a small residential area. And it was, yeah, it was incredible. So if, if there's a target out there, my a guy's God. probably going to hit it, whether he's intending to do it or not. 
Golden showers for the frogs. Jesus Christ. That yeah. poor frog. <laughs> that thing's poisonous <laughs> now. Every bit of it. Yeah, no kidding. God. It truly was unintentional. I'm saying that and I mean it. Well, shout out to that guy that submitted that. That was a great yeah. find on his part. Yeah. So, so if anyone if anyone else out there has any great uh wiki finds, kick them to us and we'll uh we'll bring them up yeah, on was, bring them up on the cool. pod here. Mm -hmm. But okay, so I mean kind of tonight. Uh, we wanted to kind of just dive into some more like hunting stories and talk or whatever. I was hoping Hunter was going to be here, but essentially we'll kind of go around the horn. Mav, I want to hear about Colorado. We'll kind of do that in a little bit. Um, kind of dive into that. I got a little, a little bit of stuff from that too, to maybe get into. Um, but we're kind of in the middle of like Minnesota deer season is rolling right now. We're in the middle of kind of tail end almost of firearm season. Um, Still a lot of deer are getting shot all over the place. I'm seeing tons of pictures. Wisconsin opens this weekend. Um, so unfortunately we don't have Hunter here uh to to talk on that a little bit, but he's definitely gonna be out. Um, they got a pretty good deer camp that they roll up there. But so we'll we'll kind of go around the horn here, see what everybody's been up to. But I do I gotta talk about this. We've talked about it on the pod before. I'm bringing it up now. So oh, this starting, is incredible. This is incredible. Starting, Listen and pay attention if you're listening. Write and this you're just down. Cruising in the car. Yes. Write this down. Yeah, this is big. So we'll we'll post a link to this probably in the description on like YouTube and stuff. I don't think we can do it on like Spotify or whatever. But if you go to our YouTube channel, you'll be able to find this link. So the Deer Hunters Roundup starts on Saturday. We've talked about this. It goes for the whole Wisconsin deer season week. So pretty much from Saturday through Thanksgiving weekend. It is the golden radio show of deer hunting and you do not want to miss this 98 q country is the station that puts it on we'll drop the link to it there's you can even go back and listen to like the old ones they're all absolute gold so all the deer camps across basically northern wisconsin call into this radio show it's pure comedy it's the most unbelievable thing i would say like sunday is probably the best day because everyone gets pissed drunk saturday night and uh, between Saturday night and Sunday, the calls are just unbelievable. And so it's a live radio show. People call in from all these deer camps across the Northwoods. It's like a radio station out of Park Falls. So I have, uh, I have. But I feel like it's the best kind of comedy. It's, it's not like they're telling jokes. It is like people are being no. for real calling this, in about the it's stuff not that a happens comedy at their show. giant deer wisconsin deer camp like no daryl told uncle craig to shut the hell up and then uncle craig fell out of the deer stand twice broke his ankle daryl come running back over hooked him up with the wheeler come back in eight pointer runs in front of that shot the eight pointer loaded him up and uncle craig in the back of the eight pointer or the back of the ranger drove home we tagged out like yeah crazy and shit it's dude. Like, and they're being and like, for real i think the best one last year that i heard was some guy like wearing like the full santa suit thing like shit in his hood like while he was out like try <laughs> like just it's unbelievable like you can't yeah, call for christmas so, so it's every so from the start of deer season through the following weekend it is every day every single day so there's a i'll i'll post a link to it maybe we'll even post this on our instagram like the schedule for this do not miss this. It's so goddamn good. And uh it and call in. I mean, they have a thing. You can call in your call deer camp in. and, and freaking throw down with the boys. But 
yeah, it's it's a it's something to behold if you have not experienced the uh, deer hunters round up there in Park Falls. So we'll uh, we'll post the hell out of it. Hopefully you won't miss it. And even if you do, you can go back and listen to the old ones. They're awesome. So Sam, I know you got on this last year. Yeah, and this you were is, it, you were hyped on it. It's incredible. This was one of the coolest things I think anybody ever shared with me ever in the history of ever. And it, it sounds so simple, but the stories these folks tell on this radio station is it's so Wisconsin. It really it's is. It's so good. It's everything about it is, is goal. It's, it's good, clean family fun is what it is. That's, yeah. Hey, you know, so anyway, I'm not going to beat that to death, but you have to listen to it. So we'll post yeah. all the links. You'll, you'll be able to find it easy. So let's anyway, freaking, let's roll let's, this into some hunting chatter. Let's roll this into good buddy. Cole Pint. Talk to yeah. us, dude. Talk to us about your fall, um, falls in the past leading up to this and talk to us about how you also break down land. We, we do just a lot of BS on here, but you're really an experienced hunter and, and you do a lot of land management on small pieces. And that's kind of what you do a little bit for your job even too. like, just talk to the people, let them know. Yeah. So I guess I've, I don't hunt a lot of public. I've, I've hunted on my parents' property. It's like an 85 acre piece. Um, I've hunted on it my whole life. Um, and I guess it, it goes to show like land management and knowing how to break down a piece of land is so huge. Cause when I was, I mean, through high school, basically I got super lucky. I shot a big eight pointer when I was a sophomore junior in high school, I shot it on my fifth shot with a slug shotgun. Um, it was chasing a doe. It was cold. It was rainy. The doe came out in the field and I was like, screw it. I want venison shot at the doe missed shot at the doe missed again. And then this big eight pointer comes over the hill chasing her as you would expect. Um, and then I finally hit that buck on the third shot. So five shots. But back then I had no clue what I was doing. I was sitting in a two man stand over a two acre food plot. I could see hundred yards in every direction. Didn't care what the wind was. I was sitting in that stand. Um, I would throw my trail cameras just like on the edge of the food plot on a trail that we would mow like twice a week, just for like, like walking and four wheeling. And I wouldn't get any big buck pictures. And it's like, well, I wonder why you might as well put one at the end of the driveway on the road. Like you're not, the big bucks aren't going to be where the highest traffic from people are. Um, and then slowly, honestly, like kind of just watching like the hunting public and all of like today's YouTube channels for deer hunting as much as like, I feel like maybe they get a bad rap sometimes um, for, 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 prioritizing like filming a hunt over just like the hunt itself i've learned more in the past like five years off of that than i would ever learn just like hunting on my own and breaking down land and how to like hunt pinch points and when it's okay like when i was in high school if somebody told me they rattled the deer in i was like you must be the best deer hunter in the state of minnesota because nobody rattles deer in I didn't rattle. I didn't know when to rattle. I thought if I rattled, I was making so much noise that everything would, would run off the property. But now it's like, if you, if you time stuff, right. I mean, you almost get up in the stand or, or on the ground and you make as much noise as you can the right time of year and make it sound realistic and deer. I mean, they'll let, they'll come to you if it's the right time of year. It's just, it's crazy. And so two years ago, I got one October 5th with my bow um and then last year i got one october 6th with my bow and sam helped me recover that one that was kind of a a wild goose chase recovering that one he didn't honestly go all that far but we lost blood it was like a classic case of of just there's nothing to track and then going out the next day and grid searching 
And then this year I got mine on the seventh. So three consecutive days over the past three years. And it's just kind of, I mean, that's not even when the rut has hit yet. So it's just a lot of trail cam work, a lot of just kind of knowing the way that deer travel on a property and based on the time of year, how they're going to travel it. And then also, I mean, there's always some luck involved. I mean, you got to be in the general area, um, but picking the right stand on the right night and just, I mean, I guess, yeah, there's a little bit of luck to it, but. What are your, what are your thoughts on hunting mornings? Because I, I, I don't know. I just feel like early October and different stuff like that. When I bounce in in the morning, dude, I bump a bunch of deer and, and I don't know if it's just cause I'm not quite getting in. I just, what's your thoughts yeah. on hunting mornings in general? I think it all depends on the way the piece of land you're hunting sets up. Like the one that I'm hunting, I sat probably, I probably sat 20 times this year and I probably only sat five mornings just because I'm the exact same as you. I mean, like the property that I hunt, my parents' house, you literally walk out the front door and the, the farthest I have to walk to a stand is maybe 600 yards, 800 yards, something like that. So like the amount of times I walk out of the house, and I can still see the house and I'm spooking deer. I can't even count on my hands. Like it happens nonstop in the mornings. So I guess I hunt them when the wind is right. And if you can risk bumping a couple of does on your way in, um, those does are probably going to come back. They run a hundred yards the other direction and they settle down and they just go about their day. Um, but I think if you don't have the right wind in the mornings, it's not worth, not worth bumping deer. Once the rut kicks in and deer will literally get bumped and come back maybe thinking that you were another deer just because they're so like rut crazed. It's a little different. But, like in September, I'll normally sit on the opener just for the sake of getting in the stand. But after that, I won't hunt mornings for a while. Cause it's the same as you said. I mean, you're just bumping deer nonstop. I don't know if it's the same for like you, Ryan, or like Mab, if it's the same for well, you up north, but. Yeah, Mab, what, I mean, are you, how are you, what are you experiencing kind of on your place when you hunt? I mean, I don't know how many like days you, you were out this year or whatever. I mean, I know you guys had some success up there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, are you just hunting like whenever you have time or are you like kind of strategizing that? I'd say traditionally, like the more buck activity I've had has actually been in the morning. So they must just be, uh, they must just be traveling north to south to you guys during the evenings or something. <laughs> yeah. But like be. traditionally, like when I have, uh, bucks on camera, um, like out of the rut, it's been, you know, between 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. like not in peak rut but um once the rut hit it was just like this year we had a lot of pictures on on camera uh in the evenings and then my my buddy actually i guess this is a this is a good statement my my friend actually just shot a uh eight point out of my land at eight o'clock in the morning um hell yeah eight pointer that's awesome. nice year and a half year old eight pointer so there's been a lot of action for me up in the north woods and in, in the mornings but yeah. how does your how does your land set up up there like what is your land like so i when i bought my pole barn it was on 10 acres and for the the county i'm in um you have to have 20 to build on and so it was kind of a weird parcel so it ended up being divided off of somebody else's land and so there's two different owners for these two 10 10 acre parcels and i was the only person that like had this small piece of land um so i found the the owner of the other property and i ended up purchasing it so now when i I had my pole barn and all of the land was cleared maybe eight years ago. So there's all this young poplar growth, like all these young trees coming up, probably, you know, six inches to 
like little twigs on the ground. And then I have a transition from that to old growth. So I have like a lot of old, um, like pine. I have a big, I have a big pine. Um, I don't know what you'd call it. Like just a row in front of where my stand is. There's a, there's a crab apple tree out there and just like a lot of older, older growth. And it seems like those deer are using that, that young growth to old growth transition. There's like a trail that comes through there. And then there's, um, also a trail that's coming in from my neighbor's land because he has, a his whole backyard's cleared out and he has like a nice little field and they'll kind of come from that field and kind of enter in on the side of my property too into that old growth. So is it a field or um, a food plot? Does he have a food plot back there? It's not a food plot. He's not much of a hunter. I talked to him a little bit. He, uh, he's, he's not afraid of shooting off his back porch when the time comes, but, um, <laughs> he's not, he's not much of one to be going and sitting in the stand from what I've, what I've been gathering. Yeah. That's and a good I, neighbor I, to have. That's okay. He's a great neighbor. Hey, he's been letting me uh, actually access my stand through his property because um, it allows me to not be making a whole bunch of noise and all the overgrowth nice. that I have back there. Cause the woods that I have is really dense. Um, I'm actually making a plan. I have a, my uncle, he has a, a nice skid steer with a mulcher on it. And he's actually meeting me up yes. here this Sunday and we're going to be, we're going to be mulching some of that young growth and making some trail around and yeah. Um, I'm actually putting up a, uh, a hot tent out there. So I'm going to do like maybe a late season bow video um, on YouTube, staying in the hot sick. tent and trying to take a buck down late season. That's cool. And I think there's like a distinct difference though, like where you're at. Cause you're, I mean, you're in kind of Northern Minnesota. There's yep. like a, a definitely a different like cover type and everything than there is like down here, like Cole, where you're hunting. I mean, I, I've never been there, but I've, you know, I saw some photos and some, some videos from there. And I mean, like you guys actually have like ag on and around your property there, yeah. which is like hunts a lot different than like big woods, North Minnesota, um, kind of area. So I, I don't know like how much of that, like you guys are managing. I don't know like where the property lines are or anything, but I assume that some of that, I mean, I think in the video I saw you guys were kind of on the edge of like cut corn or something like that, or beans maybe. Yeah. Just talk about Southern Minnesota in general, Pin. just kind of, cause you, you do a lot of land surveying and stuff. Just talk about Southern Minnesota yeah. and how it's messed up as far as deer hunting goes. Yeah. So I guess like this year for us, we were surrounded by 300 plus acres of corn. There was like 50 acres of bean that kind of butted up to the property, but North, South and Western borders are all cropland. I mean, and each field is around like a hundred acres. Um, so it's, it's kind of like there's these little, well, well, during during early fall when nothing's harvested yet, it's kind of just like a free for all. I mean, these deer are they're not hurting for food at all. I know some people recently in the last like 10 years have kind of started hunting like water sources and even making their own water sources on properties that don't have a nice water source. Um, but for me, it normally ramps up big time once all those crops come out. So I think when I shot mine, two sides of our property were corn and one was beans. And when I shot mine, the beans weren't even harvested yet. So like, I wasn't expecting a whole lot. Um, yep. I had my buck on camera, like five nights that week that I ended up shooting them, but they were all at like two to three in the morning. And he happened to be what I think was starting to tend a group of does. And that's the only reason he ran my direction, not even ran, just kind of like meandered my direction. Um, but just like, so where I work, I do like CRP ground and I do like surveying and measuring for CRP ground. And even today it's, what is it? November 13th today. 14th. I was out 14th. Yeah. And I was out measuring a CRP field today. Went out with some guy to measure. I, he, the guy had the gator running and we're parked and we're talking and he's telling stories about the lake that we're next to and how he fished on it as a kid and stuff. 
And I look up on the hill and there's an eight pointer posturing, walking down the hill towards the gator that we're sitting on. And it makes no sense at all, but it's wow. like these, these Southern Minnesota deer that just see nothing, but when fall hits, they see nothing but farm equipment, farmers and their trucks out talking in the fields and nonstop, almost like the sound of like an engine or just something running. I think this deer literally just heard a commotion in the middle of this like 30 acre bean field, ran out of the timber just to come check out what we are, walked towards us until it was very clear we weren't another buck making noise on this bean field and then ran off. It's just like, yeah. how close did it get to you? It was like 45 yards, which re- like is very close. <laughs> if, yeah. if you talk about, yeah. if you talk about a deer like yeah. during the summer, you're not going to get that close to a deer unless you're driving a truck on the highway and you hit it. Like it's, it's just, I, I think it's so, I, they're so I definitely used to. agree with you about like the farm equipment stuff. Cause I've talked to some, some farmers too, like, especially down in this area, like in the Metro that, you know, they're out combine in a field and they're, they're just working it back and forth and they get down to where there's maybe like 20 yards of corn left and they're going through there. And then all these deer just walk out. Yeah. Like they're in the field combining, driving past yeah. this hole, and they're all just like slowly moving, moving, moving to the end. And then when they run out of corn, they're like, well, fuck it. And then they just walk out of the corn. Like it totally doesn't bother them that there's all that happening right there. And mm-hmm. um, I, it's crazy. Like you'd think that they would totally be spooked by any of that, but they just hear it so often and they're just like not scared. Yeah. Okay. So then another... this leads into something awesome. No, go ahead, Cole. I was going to say another big thing that I've noticed difference from like down here to, so we hunt bow season and then we go up north for gun opener. So like six hours north of where, where we live. Um, so I kind of can see like what I'm hunting and what kind of around like what probably Mav's hunting a little bit. Um, and down here, like if you have a rub line or you have some scrapes that are getting hit, even if it's early fall, it's like a community scrape. That's probably a place that you're going to throw a camera up and you're going to get consistent pictures throughout all fall. Like you go up north, like I did this year, I found a rub line and I found like eight scrapes within probably like 500 yards of each other. And I set up on them and I didn't see a single deer the entire time I sat up north. I think it's just because it's such an expansive area and these deer aren't, they're not seeing people, they're not seeing vehicles. They're just walking for the sake of walking and it's just all timber. And they might, they might make a scrape in an area just when they're, when they maybe smell the doughlets and heat or they're worked up, they might make this scrape and they might not ever come back to it the rest of that year. So it's mm-hmm. like, it's such a different way. You can't really, I don't think you can pattern deer in like the way Northwoods. I don't know. I mean, maybe some people have, have different opinions and maybe situations where you can on your property, but like where we go, it's all state land and nothing but hardwoods. And I mean, you're not going to pattern a buck up there, especially when I go up there for like, four or five days at a time. Uh, well, I, I feel like you could pattern a buck up North probably in the hardwoods. If you're hunting over food, you know what I mean? I think like it's just a different, hole. it's a different game, right? Like yeah. I, it's just like the same strategies don't work everywhere, you know? Sure. Yeah. And it's like, like, you know, map, like you're going to figure out probably how to like really dissect your piece and be like, maybe you even hunt less days, but you have more success because you get it dialed, you know, like you're like, okay, yeah. I'm waiting for this particular thing to happen. And then boom, I'm going in. Versus like, you know, down here where you might have better deer numbers down here, but you're like, you're hunting more days and you kind of are strategizing different. I I think it all comes down to that. Like, and that's probably, I mean, I like to, there's not, 
I don't like to draw the distinction like, oh, you just hunt private or public or whatever, but it's like, there's definitely different factors there, you know, like yeah. where, where I hunt around here, I hunt pretty much 99% public land. And, uh, every once in a while I get, you know, some opportunity to do some private stuff, but like down here, it's almost like it, well, I mean, it depending if you're running cameras or just scouting or whatever, like, especially just scouting, like, like Sam, that couple years ago, the, the junkyard buck deal, the how junk, that went down. The junkyard the, buck. Yeah. That was like the most public spot, you know? And, and that was like, I, I didn't even hunt very many days that year. And that was just like, I scouted it a lot. And I mean, it's public is like, really, you're not supposed to run cameras anyway. Everyone does, but it's like, it's tough because there is a lot of pressure. Like even when you're not hunting, someone else is. So it's not like, oh, you can just stay out of it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was like, I just was scouted it until stuff started to change. Like I was scouting it. No, not good. I'd hit it after work just to walk in there and see. And all of a sudden, boom, all the scrapes all got active in there. And I was like, game on, went in had sat two sits saw like four bucks killed one actually shot two deer that night but it was like i i think i hunted like three days that whole season you know and it's like yeah you could saturate the spot and do the whole thing but I, at least on the public stuff that i hunt which is not typically very big spots it's like it, it more comes down to timing than it is like a strategy where you're like, okay, I got this buck and I'm waiting for him to daylight and then I'm going to move in and do my thing. This was like, when can I get in there when the deer are actually hitting this spot before anybody else does too? Cause there's like a competition aspect to it now too. Right. So it's like, yeah, there's some luck involved there and the whole thing. And that was, I mean, that was a sweet deal how it went down, but at least the public stuff that I, I tend to be on is more of this like, chess game of of like wh where where do i need to be when the pressure's on and that's kind of like the strategy i found front in the metro is like where do the deer go when people are pushing them around and that's where that's kind of how i on it but yeah cole and you bring up a good point too about like deer in the northwoods i mean i'm i don't come from like a super vast background of experience i've been doing this you know owning my own land thing for two years and um i actually had that buck like a nice wide eight pointer last year coming and make a scrape about 40 yards in front of me. And so this year I, uh, ended up putting some, I put a dripper out there at first and hung like a little licking branch and kind of made a mock scrape. And, um, I've had bucks come through on camera and nothing's ever came back and hit that scrape in that exact spot. So I don't know if it was just random, that buck was just charged up and smelled some does that on my property and just made that scrape. But I haven't like really even noticed a whole lot of, you know, buck activity in that same area so yeah mav where where are you where do you kind of look for like information and so like where are you trying to like learn stuff from right now um you know cole brought up the hunting public i watch a lot of their videos to try to you know take in some information um it's a lot of talking to friends and you know having people out on my property that are a little more experienced than me and you know having them get eyes on it is really helpful to you know kind of have some reassurance about you know where i ended up setting up my stand where i got my trail cameras set and stuff but um, I really don't have a whole lot to work with there, um, on 20 acres. You know, I, I'm, I actually discovered this year, the stand I set up last year, um, is like about 40 yards away from a crab apple tree. I was out there grouse hunting, um, like in late, what, like mid September this year. And, um, we, we would get to this one patch where we'd always push like at least three or four grouse. And my one buddy, he didn't believe me. He's like, there's no way we're going to like push four grouse or here. I'm like, just watch. And, uh, 
it ended up being on this crab apple tree. And so I kind of realized, you know, there's a, there's an early season food source for the deer. Of course it's all yeah. picked over by the time rut and stuff happens, mm -hmm. but um, it kind of added some reassurance, you know, I'm in a good area for where my stands at. And um, this was the first year that I really like was able to walk the property uh, after all the leaves have fallen because I started hunting like really late last season. I think I got back from a road trip, like around Halloween time. I think I got back actually on Halloween night and um, I ended up hunting like in my bow stand from, you know, off and on from Halloween until like the middle of November. Um, and I was scared to like bust some deer. So I wasn't really trotting around on, on a uh, land that was nice and bare without leaves. So I walked it for yeah. the first time this year without the leaves on the ground. And it, it is crazy how much different, like it looks, it gives me some ideas for where I might want to position myself um, next year, put up a different stand if I want to like switch with the wind and stuff. But like I said, I'm, I'm so green to it. I'm still learning. Um, but I'm, pretty confident it's pretty funny looking at my stand too because it's about it's about 10 feet off the ground only had to use two climbing sticks to get up to it but my yeah. woods are so thick that if i get any higher there's just no shot i just don't have yeah. anything i have nothing but i so feel like that's got to be half the fun too is is just like the progression of last year you got in late you figured out a few things and then this year you figured out more you've had you know yourself and buddies capitalize on deer like that's like yeah that's badass yeah so what's what driving that though i actually didn't even shoot my first the first deer that came off my property my uh my friend luke actually just shot it two two three days ago that eight pointer so that's the first deer that we've ever harvested off of my land personally but it's sick though um all my action this year has been on uh land that friends have that i just had permission to go rifle hunt so what what's driving that like you said you're pretty new to the whole thing but yeah like, i don't know i know everyone kind of does it for different reasons and stuff but what what's like getting you more fired up about like trying some stuff and getting out there well it's kind of the same it, it's kind of in the same brain space as like the road tripping stuff is for me you know like you're kind of i've found myself like kind of waiting on other people to like help me out throughout through the beginning like obviously i was hunting on other people's land like you're, you're in this tree you're doing this thing and after not doing it for a year i was like well i have to make plays in order to do this like i can't like you're not just gonna get you know a piece of land to hunt so um i was like just trying to work with what i had um the public thing i haven't really dove into too much yet i actually did go scouting early season this year um and might kind of spread my wings a little bit and try to you know find some pieces that i want to hunt um close to duluth here but um the just having your own land and like the knowing that you're not depending on other people like you know, if you're on public, people can bust deer. People could be at your spot when you want to get set up. Like, it's nice to just um, kind of be figuring out the equation yourself. Um, and it's like the same, like like I said, the same thing that makes me love road trips and doing solo stuff like that. It's driving me to figure this whole hunting deal out. That's sweet. So I kind of want to, well, we'll kind of move forward a little bit here. I think we're going to circle back on some more hunting stories and stuff. Cause I, I, like I said, I still want to talk about this Colorado thing, but I don't want to like, just push that off to the side. You know really, what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but one thing that I've kind of fallen in love with, and I think everyone at least here probably has some, at least like aspirations to do it. And I want to bring Will in here to talk a little bit about like some of the more like the Western hunting scene versus like the, like the whitetail thing and all the strategy behind that it's like totally a different world. I feel like than in like kind of the spot and stock Western game and everything. And will like, since you moved to Montana, you've been like 
doing that quite a bit for, I mean, not just deer, but you know, deer, elk, antelope, the whole thing. And And, I want to hear about like the biggest differences you think will, because you grew up in Minnesota. So you understand the kind of country that Mavs hunting, the kind of country that, you know, pins hunting. And then now you do the Western game, like just talk about some differences and stuff. Yeah, I think like the biggest thing for me, like the biggest adjustment, because I grew up in northern Minnesota and we hunted that sort of really dense, you know, big forest kind of country. And then you come out here and you're hunting just these like vast, huge areas of land. You know, I mean, you you might be hunting, you know, if you're hunting a public piece, sometimes you're hunting something that is, you know, it might be 3000 acres bigger. If you're in like national forest, you know, I mean, it's tens of thousands of acres. So I think in a sense, it's, I mean, you can play both sides. It's sometimes it's easier, but sometimes it's harder, you know, because the population density is not like Minnesota whitetails, you know, things are very spread out. And I think that goes for elk, mule deer, you know, antelope. I mean, you just have a, got a lot of ground to work with, but it's a, it's a double-edged sword because then you have to narrow down, okay, I'm going to go to this spot. Well, this spot's 5,000 acres. I can't hunt 5,000 acres in a week's time. You know, really you need to like dwindle it down to, you know, places you think they might be. And then you go there and they're, they're there or they're not, and you got to go to the next spot. So, I mean, it's definitely different, but I don't know. It's after being out here for, you know, three or four years, sometimes like you sort of miss the, like sitting in a deer stand for whitetails. You know what I mean? Like it's so different. Um, but yeah, I think for me, the biggest, the biggest adjustment is just, you're dealing with these huge quantities of land and population density is not like, you know, whitetails on a, on an 80 acre, 160 acre back home where I grew up, if you had 500 acres, you had a ton of land, you know? Um, so it's different in that regard for sure. Yeah. I, I think the learning curve is, is kind of steep for people that come from like a whitetail hunting background, especially in the Midwest. Um, primarily because it's just like it's a very active hunt right or or i guess kind of like the style that i've developed and i know will you hunt a lot the same way where it's a lot of glassing and like looking over country versus just hiking through it right yeah i can remember yeah like growing up dude like in minnesota like looking at spotting scopes and being like why would anybody ever need that you know what I, still, I, mean? I still do that right now, dude. Like yeah. I'll be in Cabela's and I'll be like, dude, that's so intense. Like, why would you spend $2,500 <laughs> on a spotting scope? You know, like does it, it didn't yep. ever make any sense to me. And then here, of, of course it makes sense, you know, cause like what Ryan said, I mean, if you can get in a spot and you can, you know, do the walking with your glass, you know, it can save you a lot of time and then turning up deer or elk or whatever it is. I mean, having good optics goes, goes a long way. It's not that you need a, you know, $3,000 Swaro spotter, but having some sort of, you know, longer range optics, um, I think is really beneficial for Western yeah. hunting. And like, I, I guess for people that have never done it, that are interested, I like, I kind of break it down into like th- three, like people that are like, Oh, do I need those optics or like whatever? Cause it's like, yeah, you could go and buy like a hundred dollar, you know, like pretty shitty, like Barska scope. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, you can see stuff that's far away when it's really sunny out and everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, but like, like the main benefit is like you went, once you sit like on a ridge line and you're glassing far and you look over all the area that has no animals and then you find animals think about how, you know, I'm like, well, how long would it have taken you to hike all that to determine there was nothing in there? 
Mm-hmm. You right. know, when it's like, I can sit here, I can eliminate all this ground with my eyes without ever actually like, walking anywhere. And then right. I can actually like find where they are versus, right. you know, like in the Midwest where it's flat, you don't have a lot of vantage where you're like, okay, well, th- what, what if you could hunt where you deer hunt, but you took all the trees away? How many deer would you see? Probably a lot, you know, because it's like, you can just see so much more land. But then when you're talking about like optic quality, then it's like, well, yeah, do you need a $2,500 spotter? Well, no, but you know, what I've found especially is like the, like the nicer, the optics you have, the more minutes you buy on the first five minutes of the day and the last five minutes of the day. Cause when everyone else is packing up their scope, cause they can't see anymore and you've spotted a, a buck or a bull coming out somewhere that you're like, that's where I'm going in the morning. Because it's like, I, Will, I, I mean, out of all the stuff you've killed out there, how many of them were like you spotted before you went in on it? Oh, Versus just like walking up on something randomly. You know, it's only happened to me once. I, I, my mule deer I killed last year actually that I like walked in on him, but it was yep. the same thing. You know, the night before I had been on that piece and I had seen four different bucks. You know, so I knew there were deer there, but it's yeah, it's so rare to like, uh, like sneak on something without knowing it's there you know right. usually you bust it and the wind you know to ryan the winds out here are so swirly and mm-hmm. you know you have to deal with all kinds of wind variables um and so that too i think just you know aimlessly walking around you end up spooking stuff way before you see it you know yeah. you're dealing with thermals too i mean there's so much going on wind and i i think that's some of the frustration right like some people they go out for maybe their first trip ever out West. And and I mean, there's a lot of information out there. So it's not like people totally are like going in blind on a lot of this stuff, but like, I don't know. I I guess like for, for like a first Western hunt, sometimes it it can be really frustrating. I mean, yeah, you can have success for sure, but uh, there's definitely like ways to, to be more efficient. I think, you know, right out the gate. And I think in that type of place. So, right. And bringing up that, you know, people are wanting to do their first Western hunt. The one I would recommend, and I don't know about you, Ryan, but an antelope hunt is a great way to sort of get your feet wet in Western hunting because antelope are, I mean, they're fairly easy to hunt, but they're fun to hunt. You know, you're going to have, you're going to blow some stocks. Like, you know, you're going to screw it up a few times, but but you get to see a lot of them. That's why it's a visual hunt. It's not like you're, Oh, I hope we see one. Like you're going to see a ton of antelope. (laughs) It's much more fun than like elk hunting where, well, you know, you've been there. Sometimes you go weeks without seeing any, like this elk season for me has been horrible. I've hardly seen an elk and I've hunted a lot of days. So like, Mm -hmm. that's discouraging, you know? So if you wanted to, I think a great first Western hunt is antelope because you see a lot of game. Um, if you can shoot halfway decent, you know, you're probably going to get a fairly good shot at them. And, yeah. uh, it's fun. I love antelope hunting. I mean, yeah. it's, An- it's antelope or, or, uh, like a mule deer doe tag mm-hmm. is an awesome one yeah. <laughs> also. Yeah. So, that's a great that's way to like, gonna ask. get into it. I, I haven't hunted out of state much at all besides waterfall. And I want to start doing it like these next few years here, just because like I said, I, I feel like the last month I just wanted to, to, to have another tag in my hand. And I've, yeah. I've been like in my head, it's always been like mule deer. But at the same, like, I've never even thought about antelope at all. So it's like, so antelope, you're just saying that you're probably, if you're in the right areas, you're going to see a lot more of them. You're going to have a lot more chances to screw up a stock than you will with a mule deer. Yeah. Well, and you know, they they don't, they live, they don't like being around cover at all. You know, they want to be in the wide open. That's like where they live. So just by the nature of where, where they're at, 
is like it makes it easier to like locate them right i mean okay. i'm not gonna say it's a slam dunk because there are tags that are pretty easy to get where the honey's actually really tough yeah, but okay. um but in in like a lot of areas <laughs> just finding antelope is not that challenging yeah. you know and you can hunt a lot of different western states for them too you know and most like ryan said some of the tags are really easy to draw some you might need like three or four points but that's really not that many in the grand scheme of things you know you can hunt some really good units in Wyoming with three or four points where it's almost a slam yeah. dunk with a rifle, not, not with a bow with so a rifle. Yeah. 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 Bow hunting antelope. I've done it. I've never killed them with my bow challenging for sure. I mean, unless you're sitting over water, then it's not, but yeah. I mean, yeah, you have just a lot of, a lot of good, you know, South Dakota even has like a pretty good antelope population. So there's stuff that's like, you don't have to go, you know, super, super far. Um, and you're, yeah you're hunting in the west you know so i'll tell you western... what on my uh on my road trip back from colorado i uh really wish i had a speed goat tag because we were seeing a <laughs> lot of antelope yeah. in wyoming and montana and uh it was we were we were on on x on the way back like looking at what you'd need to get tags <laughs> and what percentage and pull stuff. And stuff. Yeah. yeah there's there's so many in that area man and that that is on the bucket list they are a cool. badass critter too. Like they're a super pretty animal. Like they're mm -hmm. one, they're cool to look, be up close to for sure. Yeah. yeah. Western hunting was, was humbling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no. And like, I mean, I don't know, especially like an elk hunt, like elk hunting is really badass, and I think everyone should do it, but it's like, man, if that was your first Western hunt and you were successful, it is, I mean, it's an ass kicker. Yeah. Like, you know, it's if you've never broken down an animal in the field, now you're like packing meat and all this stuff. It is like, there's a lot that goes into like killing yeah. one and getting it back to your truck. I think that, that too, that's a good point too, Ryan, because like, you know, where we grew up in Minnesota, I mean, you got your deer out whole, you know, you really didn't right. have to quarter deer. You weren't packing meat, you know, you weren't doing any of that stuff. So, you know, that's like you said, I mean, if you kill an elk, that's your first Western animal, you know, it'll be, it'll be a suffer fest for You're sure. You're going to learn a lot really fast. Yeah, yeah. And you'll know, like it, it, you should have invested in a better pack, you know, <laughs> but that's part of it. Right. I mean, exactly. your first couple trips, you find out all this stuff like, well, didn't need that. Should have bought that better. Didn't you know, 100%. Whatever. it's, it's very much trial and error. And still too, like, you know, I haven't been hunting out here that long, but like every year I find something I don't need, or you pick up something that, oh man, this is really helpful. You know, makes it suck yeah. a little less. That's the biggest right. thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. And, and I mean, at least the West, that's kind of why I fell in love with the Western stuff though. It's like, it is more effort. It's a different game, whatever, more time. And, you know, I'm traveling to do this stuff. It's not like I get to scout for a month before I go out there. It's like, I'm going and I'm scouting maybe one or two days before the hunt and then like getting after it. But it's like the, the adventure aspect of Western hunting is what keeps me doing it. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I love hunting around here and hunting whitetails and it's, fun game and everything but to me like that is where i want to spend my time is out there doing these like adventure style hunts where i'm all in and i'm camping on the mountain and like it's i don't know ass. man there's it's it's hard like it gets in your blood man i don't know like mav this was you went out there this year so let's let's yeah. maybe dive into that a little bit now so you okay. you went out there this was your first western kind of like experience right hunting out there yep yep so what yeah, so this how, how did that kind of like come about or like that you guys so, that trip. Yeah. So I have a couple buddies up here in Duluth and, um, one of them had been on this hunt, uh, out in Colorado for elk. It's just a over the counter tag that you pull for second rifle. You can just buy it at over the counter. Don't need any yep. points. Um, he had done it 
one one year before um and then his friend that we ended up going with too had been there to that same location twice so they kind of had already a little bit of a game plan um i was definitely overwhelmed with like the amount of gear even that i had to buy let alone like trying to come up with a game plan for like where we're gonna be camped out so they had an area where they wanted to camp and that they had had success at in the past and seen elk and familiar with so i was kind of just tagging along and trying to learn as much as i could um, so they had, we they had up, been, been there before yeah so they had been there yeah. before um so when my friend isaac went he they weren't successful in their five-day hunt but then um the other friend kyle went again uh i think he might have gone for third rifle and then they ended up getting one um so they had had success in that area before seen elk and were familiar with like the layout of the land and knew it held, um, you know, could hold some bulls at this time of year and years past. So they, uh, I was definitely kind of riding some coattails just to learn. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like that's the best way to do it. Like you are with sure. people that have I think you almost have that's, to. That's yeah. how I would, I, I would I really want to do. do it. I would want to be with people that had at least been there one time. Yeah, you really do. And it, it adds some confidence just knowing, you know, somebody at least has somewhat of a game plan. Um, mm. It was a humbling experience. I will say I have a lot of respect for people that go out there and can make it happen. I think something like the area that we were hunting was a 9% success rate or something like wow. that. So, you know, nothing crazy, yeah. but we were seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of activity. We ended up um, getting out there, I think on the, the 25th of October. So we were out like, three, four days before, um, second rifle actually opened. Um, and we had a lot of, uh, bulls that we were glassing on top of this ridge line, uh, about, uh, four or five miles away from camp at the, at the base of this, uh, Creek. But, um, once, once season opened, it kind of, we got, we got dealt a bad deck of cards. We had, um, some fog roll in cause colder weather was coming in. So we had really low visibility for the first two mornings. Um, and I think it kind of killed some people's motivation. We kind of had that Midwest mentality of sit and wait. And I had a little ridge line I was sitting on glass in and, um, you know, kind of overlooked a saddle. So my thought was, you know, maybe something's going to come over the saddle. I have low visibility. It's like my only shot that I have. I can only see like hundred yards in front of me. So sit and pray. Um, and then it wasn't until like the third day that I really started kind of going on little day adventures, like glass in the morning. Um, we weren't seeing much in the morning. So like I, I was getting a little, a little antsy and I was probably doing the too much hiking thing that you guys were talking about earlier, but I will say on my hikes that I went on, I actually learned a lot more because I was able to find like, you know, fresh track and kind of understood, okay, they're coming in on this side of the bowl. We saw them in the morning, we glassed them. You know, they're moving towards this other ridge line and, um, it was it was fun, but it, it's hard not to like hike around out there though and be like kind of explore because it's like such new terrain and everything too. You know, you get to see some yeah. cool shit. Yeah, just but, learn uh, about the landscape and how the animals are using it. Like that's, that's yeah, sweet. Like, I will, even though you didn't crush, like that's you learned probably a lot. We'll say I wish I had a mule deer tag because when I was up on top of that ridge line, we had about a herd of like eight of them roll through over at last light and one really nice buck in it. And then when I went on that couple day hikes by myself i actually had a a doe about 10 yards away from me i'm hiking through the woods going through some old elk beds and um they looked like they're maybe a day old or something and i was like oh shoot i'm in i'm in some bedding area like 
trying to like be light on my feet and I look over and I see like a nose like coming out of a like a tree line and I'm like oh god like I'm grabbing my pack like trying to unbuckle it all quiet it's like you know 20 yards away and so I'm slinging it around and I'm like unbuckling my rifle from the side and I like look up and there's this mule deer and a fawn like 15 yards away so I kind of sat there and recorded it for a little bit and it was cool they had no idea I was there and after sitting there for like 10 minutes I'm like well gonna get dark here pretty soon i want to see if maybe there's an elk over on this little meadow or whatever and busted them out and they got a video of them like hopping off they that's sweet had no idea what was going on but knew i was so bad did, news did you guys get that snow like on you know opening day slash yeah, so honestly th- yeah that part was awesome so we ended up taking uh we got our stuff packed in by horse so we were five miles from the trailhead um so you did, I, did, was it like a drop camp through an outfitter? Or? So the outfitter does drop camps, but we did a DIY thing. So we didn't end up oh, staying right in on. a, in a hot tent. Um, we all brought like three, four season tents and, um, so they just like, just camped you, out. they just basically took you in on the horses to where you wanted to go. Yeah. So we just paid them yeah. for the Wrangler fee. And then like, I think we had to pay, we, we paid for uh, each horse that we had to bring out for weight. Um, but we were able to put our packs on the back and uh i got to ride the horse uh the five miles my buddies didn't want to pay for the <laughs> the riding fee and i was like i'll gladly pay it sounds like <laughs> i'm gonna enjoy this thing and you guys are gonna have to hike like five miles up from six thousand foot to ten thousand with yeah. your day packs but they were happy to not have their you know 60 pound camping packs on their back but uh yeah so we we got in um like set camp up and we weren't by any water sources. <clears throat> so the Creek was probably about half mile hike down the bowl. It was really tried like straight vertical, like right from camp because that, that saddle like just came up like this. Yeah. And so if we were going to hike down that every day to get water, I mean, you know, as you have like small packing water bottles, like a Nalgene, that was like my source of water for the day. It was just like a little, an Nalgene bottle for 24 ounces of water. If I was going down to the Creek every time I needed to do that, <laughs> that would have sucked. So we got that blanket of snow. It was a blessing, man. Cause it was first day we got out there. We got at least like two inches right away. So we were just mm-hmm. boiling snow, drinking that, making our meals with that. And then that cold day came around and man, we got like a foot and a half maybe. Yeah. Wow. Creates a lot of condensation in the tent, but it was yeah. uh it was a blessing for, you know, seeing track and also the water stuff. Yeah. That is nice. It's like, it's kind of, it's kind of good and bad, right? Cause it's like, it sucks. Cause your stuff is wet every day, all day kind of, <laughs> but yeah, the, the visual aspect of like being able to see animals and see tracks and stuff is huge. So yeah. Being able to deal with being, uh, de- being able to deal with condensation and like being able to stay warm and dry is half the battle out there. I mean, if you can do that, you're gonna have a happy trip, but yeah. Um, so did you guys have like a wood stove or what were you? What no, were you we were, we were, we were just just straight up in the tent we were straight up yeah we had one night that got down to negative four yep um yep you had no heater or anything no we had hand warmers and um boil some water and algae and throw it in your sleeping bag before you get in it and sit around the fire until you want to go to bed but yeah we were we were just in just in tents and i i knew we knew the weather forecast going into it second rifle like my buddies were saying how miserable it was the last few years and um i'm a gearhead man like somebody said earlier, I think it was you, Ryan, like I'll spend the extra couple bucks for, you know, something that's going to make my life a little easier. I think Will was actually saying that too. And yeah, I, uh, I spent a lot of hours researching, um, for the 
couple months leading up to it, like what tent I want to have, what sleeping bag I want to bring that I have. Like I ended up investing in new pads, new, I had to get pack pads, everything like making sure I was going to be able to stay warm and dry. It pays for itself pretty quick when you're in that, in, in, in the shit like that. Like a real well, situation I, like that. Like that's legit. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I would say too, that there is a, uh, there is something to be said for, you know, making something work too, that, you know, oh yeah people, people might be naysayers on because I mean, you can go out there in the fanciest four season tent and yeah, sure. You're going to be fine, but you can do it in a three season. Like there's guys in my camp were just fine in a three season tent. Yeah. It's like, I, I always like, you know, everybody, everybody has access to all this gear and like, you can buy the nicest stuff. You can buy some $20 gear from Walmart or whatever, but it's like, the moment you leave the trailhead on the mountain, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like it, it doesn't it's, matter at it's all. more like what, what you're willing to put up with. Like you can be the richest dude in the world, but yep. the moment you leave that trailhead and you leave all that shit behind and you just got what's on your back. It, I mean, it's, it's a great that equalizer. Be, that would be <laughs> such a different feeling too, because like Midwest hunters, we don't feel that at all. You know what I mean? Like we are, yeah. we're going back to our deer camp or our house or anything. And that's one question I had as far as, Western hunting goes, Mav, you've been out there and you know, buddies have been out there. And then Ryan, who's been out there a bunch of times, how much, is, like, how much is it timing versus making a play? Just you're talking like, whole, like the, I'm just like, just like, the whole game plan too. I know we're just talking gear, but I just oh, want to yeah. know, like, just, I hear Mav talking, I hear you talking. I'm just like, how much is it making a play versus like, okay, you understand the ground where they're moving we should go here, be here. Or it's like, let's move, move, move. And let's see what we need to see. And then make a play on it. Like, are you guys, are you guys searching to make a play or you're kind of like putting yourself in an area where you want to watch stuff develop in front of you. And, and yeah. then you can kind of adjust. I guess I, I can speak on that a little bit. I mean, everyone, everyone, I think develops their own style. So I don't know that like the way I do it is right for everybody, but it works for, for me and for the, you know, the guys that I hunt with, we've, we all kind of hunt the same way. So it's like, we've developed this strategy and, and at least, you know, the first couple of years, at least that I was out there and, you know, I, I wasn't like hunting alone or anything. I, you know, hunt with my dad and we got a, some other guys that have a lot of experience too. And, and the learning curve was just finding animals, period. Not like, how do we get close? It was just like, where do they live? Like, you know, cause every unit, like for instance, in Colorado, they all have elk in them, but it's like, well, what, what separates me from the, you know, the success rate on, on elk, even with a rifle is not super high. So it's like, well, how do I be in that percent every time versus just like the guy that gets one every five years or whatever? Like, I want to be the guy that's getting one every year. Like, how do I get to that? or at least put myself in a position to have a shot. Yeah. And, uh, and at least, you know, for us, it was like figuring out the, like the, the places where now I feel like I could, I could pull out a Google earth and fig be like, okay, I want to be in this basin or that basin or this area. Like, I feel like I could pretty well be like, I, I, I can get around them, but then, uh, learning more of just like, well, how, how do you even get to a spot where you feel like you have a play or like what, what makes you think you have a play <laughs> versus just like yeah. looking through spotting scope and go, Oh, there's a bull, <laughs> you know? And at least for, for me, uh, I, I feel very confident, um, n like looking around and, and finding a, a, like a bull or a buck or whatever. Like I'm, I'm waiting to see one in the right place. So I'm like, 
I can look around and go, oh, there's there's some over there, or there's three up in that or there, or whatever. But it's like I want I want one that's in a in a place where I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I can put I can put one to bed. Cause it that's a lot a lot of like these Western game animals, what they do is like and they're they're fairly active in, in the morning and the evening. I mean, they're just like they're feeding, they're doing their thing. Depends on the on the, obviously the season, like the later in the season things change. But I would say like first, second rifle and like archery time frames are like you can find animals and they're probably not moving necessarily like miles and miles, right? Like you, you, if they're not being pressured. So I, I want to find one in a spot where it's, it's just doing what it does. Like I, I don't want it to be because it's being pressured by people like totally different than how I would hunt here. So Um, that's, that's what you mean by when you, when you say, I want to find one in the right position, you're basically trying to find one who's chilling. He lives there. This is his place. And now we can make a move on it. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Because I mean, especially like I'll, I'll use elk as an example because we're kind of talking that. But like, what I you know that they they, they want to have somewhere to be, like dark timber to bed in. Okay, like if if they're if they're just out in the wide open aspens, it's like they're probably going to move pretty significantly to a spot they're going to bed unless it's like a lot of snow where they just can bed. They're a big animal; they get hot. Like if the sun's roasting on them, they're at high elevation. Like they're not just going to lay out in the sun all day. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I want to find one that's what you'll see. I think a lot of times, at least from, from the units that I hunt now are either over the counter units or units that don't take a lot of points to draw. That's kind of like my wheelhouse, right? Uh, like I'm not doing stuff where it takes 15 points to draw something. Okay. Um, is that they, the, the better bulls, bucks, whatever, they're in an area that has a lot of that stuff in a very compact place versus like you might be able to see a ton of elk in these big expansive meadows and all oh, you can look at them through the scope and you're like, God, look at them all, you know, but I'm like, I want to hunt like one bull or mm-hmm. one or two animals. Like I, I, it's, I mean, like I've had success and like, I'll talk about some stuff with like getting in on a herd or whatever, which is badass if you get to do that. But that's not a high percentage play. I mean, there's a lot of eyes there. A lot can go wrong, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, if I'm hunting one animal, it, it sounds crazy to be like, I got this whole mountain and I'm going after one bull. But if I know exactly where he's coming out or he's going to be, it's a pretty high percentage play, actually. So uh, I I kind of err more on that. Like, sometimes some things go your way and it's pretty cool. But, it you know, other times it's like, I, I just, I need to find that place. Whereas we call them, like, bull nests right? Like where are they going? And we're like, they don't move far from there. Okay. So, uh, a, a lot of times they'll, they'll come out in, in the evening. So you'll glass them in the evening right before dark and, and they'll be working across a, an area. Maybe there's feeding in some aspens or a little meadow or whatever. And you'll see the timber patch. They probably came out of, or maybe you pick them up and you're like, ah, oh, maybe he was kind of down in there. And I, I just, I don't want to call it patterning, but I want to see them there more than once. Like just seeing them and saying, yep, I'm going. That isn't always an awesome play because you don't know where he came from. If he just showed up there or whatever. But if I, if I glass him in an evening and then I'm going to say, okay, if he's there in the morning, we got something going. So I'm going to pull up, I'm going to glass that same spot and you know, you get there in the morning and sure enough, I picked him up like 300 yards from where he was last night. And then, I I'll just sit on him in the scope and watch him walk into the timber. Cause I want to know exactly like where he's coming in and going out where he's betting. Right. So that's the strategy I've kind of come up with is like, I want to see him somewhere twice, at least twice wow. if possible. And then, and then as soon as I feel com- 
like, cause the thing is like, you don't know for sure, right? Anything can happen. But the moment I, f- I have that confidence is when I need to go because in my head, I'm like, it's, he's there. Like, I'm going to go get, like, he's going to come out there tonight and I'm going to shoot him. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, it's a confidence game because you need to psych yourself up sometimes to go where this is. Like, it's not just like I'm walking down the edge of the cornfield here. I'm like, I'm talking somewhere that's going to take me half a day to get to for maybe a chance in the last five minutes of light. But I'm, it's probably easier you know making I mean? a half a day walk when, when you have that confidence. I feel like anything in the outdoors, like I, if you have confidence, like what you're doing and okay, let's go do it. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I just want to watch until I have been, like, once I hit that level where I'm like, yup, maybe it's, maybe it's justified. Maybe it's not. But once I feel it, it's like, we're going because you need to kind of, you need to strike while it's hot because a, a bull might do something for two, three days and then they, bail, you know, they leave. So, so I've seen that, you know, in, in uh, a different unit, high pressure unit that we've hunted for a long time in Colorado, where before the season started. So the way Colorado breaks up their season, there's a break between first and second rifle season. There's like a week between pretty much. And, uh, during that break, the elk kind of usually chill out and, you know, a lot of the camps are gone and they kind of just go back to doing what they do. Well, you could sit back and you could glass all these elk, you know, good herds, nice bulls coming out in these meadows that are fairly accessible, you know, and then, uh, you know, one, two days before the season, uh, you know, horse camps go in, they, they put up some base camps, like maybe in these meadows or in like they, they camp where the elk were, which is unfortunate sometimes because they push them out. But you know, just having that activity back there, all of a sudden these elk just freaking vanish. Like they were coming out Mm. like clockwork morning, evening in these meadows and they're gone. And then a lot of the, especially during second rifle, since the long season, it's a nine day season. Like I'll say Thursday is when a lot of people leave, uh, like, especially like local hunters, they kind of hunt, like they don't have an animal by Thursday. They're usually like where they're good or potentially some weather moves in and they bail. Well, all these people leave like on Thursday and, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, like the last three days of the season, all of a sudden all these elk start showing back up exactly where they were prior to the season starting. So it's like, they kind of cycle out of that area. They have these areas that they go, they're like their safety zones or whatever. Right. Which is great if you know where those are, but they're tough to hunt because they're usually in some thick ass shit way back where you do not want to be because <laughs> that's yeah. where they feel safe. They feel safe there and it's really hard to get them there because that's, they know they're safe there. Like you could get on a track in the snow and it would blow your freaking mind to see some of the shit those animals are willing to go through. Like stuff that you can't even crawl over, like head height, blow downs and stuff right through it. Like nothing. Like the most humbling thing in the world is to hike a ridgeline and then sit down and watch an elk cross what you just did in a spotting scope. (laughs) It takes you half a day to do it and they literally do it in, two minutes and it it would you're just that's stupid it's wrong it's absolutely disgusting to watch where they're willing to go and how fast they can do it like they're built for that so chase like chasing them into that stuff is near impossible i would say so i i think that's like what i would tell people that that want to get into it more is is spend a little more time on the scouting aspect because you could hike for five days and maybe never see an elk, or you could scout for four days and find one good play. And it takes one hunt to kill that animal mm-hmm. versus a week. You know what I'm saying? What did, so, what did your buddies have to say? Yeah, go ahead, Cole. So I was just say someone like me, who's been like thinking about it for a couple of years, I'm kind of like waiting on, 
the two or how many guys do you go with Ryan when you go or like Mav, how many guys did you have? Uh, when I went, we had three other people. So I was there with four dudes total. Yeah. And I, I'd say it varies. Did myself? Yeah, it varies a lot. Like on this hunt, I honored, it was just me and my dad, basically. And we had, a, we had a buddy that just came out for like the first two days to hang out and glass with us or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I, I tend, like, I don't really like hunting with big groups. Not that I don't like hanging out with people or whatever, but it's just a lot to manage and like figure mm-hmm. out where everyone's going. And I, especially when I go out there, like I have enough mentally invested in it. Not like, it's not like this huge, like, Oh, I got all this money wrapped up in the tag. Like I have to get one or whatever. Like, that's not how I feel about it. But like mentally, I, I like, I push myself, you know, hard. Like I, I want to maybe do stuff a little outside of what I think I actually am capable of doing. Maybe just like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's how I look at it. I'm like, I, what, how far am I willing to go? Kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Well, when you're in the mountains too, that, that feeling gets a little exasperated. Cause you're like, I'm out here in the cold and like, you're, you know, no cell phone signal right? out camping on your own. It's like, I have nothing else to do rather than wake up at five in the morning and just start hiking to my glass mm-hmm. knob. Like right. I better get well, up and do it. Cause I'm sleeping here. Yeah. Like, and now that I've been out there and had some success for various animals or whatever, I'm like, I know what it takes to get it done. And I'm like, I, I just, every year I, I feel like I push myself harder and harder because I'm like, I know what I'm capable of. I know where I'm willing to go and that keeps going yeah. up. So it's like, it's hard for me to take pe- like, not, I, I would, I love taking new people out. I think that's awesome to get people like experience some of that stuff. But like some of these ones where, where I know it's going to suck bad. I'm like, I don't want to bring somebody new to that because I know how much it's going to suck, but I'm like, I've done it. So I'm like, I'm willing to take the suck for potentially getting into like a really good spot or whatever you know i will go ahead and say too i think like just experiencing it for the first time like there is a form of like camaraderie between you and your hunting partners like you might go on a trip with people that you think like are gonna be you know gangbusters out there and that talk a big game but once push comes to shove i mean midwest mentality sets in and you know they're not really make willing to make the you know hike or the play that needs to happen and totally i think uh you know we had, we had a tough, we had a tough draw with like the weather with like not being able to see anything the first couple of days. But like Ryan was saying, we were never able to like actually pattern something, seeing it more than once. We had active elk on close ridge lines, a couple of ridge lines, uh, like five miles away before opener happened. And we never did see, um, activity on one of those ridges from the same bowl, like mm-hmm. consecutively. And, you know, yeah. But the, I it mean, was, every, uh, every hunt's different, right? Like you yeah. don't always get that luxury of being able to glass one up in a good spot. Right. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you are, you're hiking your ass off to get to some of these places and, and you're just doing what you can do. And, and I mean, right. it's just, it, it depends. Like you said, the weather, the weather this year was crazy. I mean, second rifle keeps getting pushed later. And now that it's, it's, it's almost a week later than it used to be now. And it pretty much is consistently getting piss hammered with snow. <laughs> the past like four years and uh you just have to accept that it's going to be like that now <laughs> yeah and and i you think know. too there's something to be said like with even with going with a group having a plan to be able to diverge and conquer like yep. having like having like you know people comfortable with going out solo or splitting up into groups and being able to like you know go spot for this group this guy hikes up on this ridge that we've been seeing activity on so he has access we're gonna glass for you like you can kind of see 
the lay of the land and, you know, kind of develop a play easier that way, or, you know, you're kind of seeing more area and I, I don't think there's any hurt in that. So, I mean, you really, you got to be a little selective with like, you know, friends that you're willing to go and do something like that with, because I mean, eight days in the mountain is tough, tough on anybody. And it kind of brings oh, yeah. out different personalities and stuff that, you know, you really got to be sure you're going with the right, the right crowd. Yeah. Especially cause like, you don't know what hand you're going to get dealt and you don't want somebody to bail on you when yeah. it really counts. And you're like, Holy shit, man. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause I, I uh, you know, one, like one thing that I've seen and like, uh, the, me, the guys I hunt with are really good about this and, and is, uh, you know, like the willingness to like hike in the dark, I think is a big deal. And, and mm. like, it sounds simple, like, yeah, whatever you throw a headlamp on and go, but there's like a big difference between like being willing to go somewhere that it's like, maybe you need to be there literally till dark. Cause that's when it's going to go down, but then it's going to require you to hike four or five hours out in the dark. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Versus the guy that's like going to sit here and he's like, wow, it's going to take me a while to get out. I probably should start hiking, you know, or places where it's like, dude, like if you get one down, you are not getting back to camp till 2 AM for sure. Yeah. You know, where he's like, are you, are you, are you somebody that's going to be cool sitting there, uh, with a headlamp cutting up a bowl up on the mountain for all night, you know, or, or is it like, Oh you no, know, I'm not cool with that. You know, I, I don't know. I'm for every one of the answers probably different, but, uh, in my experience, if you're willing to do that, it definitely puts the odds in your favor more than it does just, you know, if you're not, and it's, it's cool. Uh, I mean, that's kind of a cool aspect of it too. Uh, like we always talk, we always say like the miles after dark don't count. Uh, just to like put it in your head. Like who, who cares how far you have to go? It's like the, the, you know, those miles don't count anyway. It's not like you're hike, you know, burning daylight doing those miles. So you're, you know, that or just sleep, I guess. <laughs> we'll say too, uh, uh, three miles hike down in the, in the bowl coming down a ridge line hits a lot different than getting down from your deer stand in the dark. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're worried about wildlife out there. You're out in the Rockies, you got mountain lions and all sorts of weird stuff. It's dark. I mean, yeah. and, it, and it's not flat. Like, like, no. I, like, yeah, I, I could go walk three miles right now. And that's honestly still a pretty long ways, but like three miles when you're walking on a ridge is probably like, <laughs> I, was trying, I was trying to connect two trails at the end of the night. One time I was up in this like meadowy bowl area, trying to glass some stuff and it started getting dark out. And so I kind of like hiked around this like loop that I hadn't done before. And there's this dark timber in front of me and I could see on my GPS. I'm like, okay. So I came in to the top of this bowl here. Like, I'm just going to cut it off, go through the dark timber here and meet back up with my trail. Well, mm -hmm. that ain't so easy in the dark. I got myself turned around <laughs> real fast. I was finding myself tripping over giant fallen trees and in like two feet of snow, just trudging around. I flushed a grouse that scared the absolute crank out of me. I mean, those thunder chickens out there, man, they are freaking huge like those yeah. those mountain grouse are built different and that thing flushed yeah. like five yards from me i was like holy <laughs> fuck i thought i was gonna die but i mean it's just different like you're it's quiet and you're alone in the mountains yeah. it's 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 yeah, definitely like, a little mental game you you feel out there for sure which is i don't know it's a cool feeling like the first time it's kind of like oh shit but like you get it gets in you and it's, it gets addicting. But like, I, like there's some things that the first time they happen to you suck bad. Like, like getting cliffed out in the dark is real shitty. Like where you're coming down a slope and you don't always have like a good line, right? Like maybe you hiked up somewhere else and you're coming down 
and you get into like these cliff band areas where it's like, it's not super easy to like get through. And that can be pretty frustrating because you don't know really where to go. Right. Everything you try doesn't work. And you're like, well now what? <laughs> mm. So in like shit like that. Yeah. In the dark, especially. And you're just, all you want to do is get out, you know? And you're so, carrying like 20, 30 pounds of gear and trekking poles and trudging through snow. It's like, yeah. Or you're packing meat or you're packing yeah. meat and you're heavy. And all you want to do is get the hell out of there. You know? Yeah. Last thing you want to do is go back up that bowl. Well, that's the thing. And then you might get yourself in a spot where you have to go back up and that's like, that's even worse. <laughs> um, so somebody, no, it, so somebody, so somebody first time wanting to do it like me, yeah. am I wanting to put my, my time into like, I mean, I know this planning is like months ahead of time. Am I wanting to put my effort into finding a, finding a tag in a, in a unit that's going to have animals in it? Or am I wanting to get the first tag I can, no matter what's there, just kind of like taking the ones on the chin that I got to take on the chin to learn, or am I going to want to find a zone, make sure I have all the right gear and get there and make sure that my, my first like attempt at this is at least like, I'm going to see whether it's elk or mule deer. Like, am I just wanting to get out there and do it and see what it's like? as soon as possible because i've been thinking about this for like probably two years now and haven't done it or yeah. is it not even worth doing that if you don't have every right piece of gear and you're gonna for sure have a chance to like put yourself in a position to, to see animals and not be like a complete struggle bus the entire time like what's better just jumping into the fire or being fully prepared well i guess from my opinion i would say any any experience is good experience right whether you get your teeth kicked in or not uh mm -hmm. you know but i think there's a lot to be said for like doing some research well doing some research or or linking up with somebody else that like has been out there and knows a little bit about it or you know what mm -hmm. i mean because it depends what your goals are like there's guys that just want to go shoot a, a giant bull or a giant buck and that's really all they care about if that you know mm -hmm. that's it then it's like then you got to go where the, where the opportunity is the greatest. And you think you can actually do that. If you just want to get out there and, and, and hunt and, you know, maybe it's not a trophy thing. You're just going out there and you want to, you want to, you know, get some meat and do some fun hunting and stuff. I think that's a tremendously different thing and it's much easier to accomplish. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I mean, I, I would say you don't, you want to do as many over the counter hunts as you can, is my opinion. Because if, if you, if your your long-term goals are like, man, I, I want to start hunting out West more often, just yep. like period, not just like once in my life, I want to do it. Like yep. I want to get into yep. that. I, what I would do is find either uh, places you want to apply for points, right? Cause that's a big thing. Like, I don't know if a lot of people realize that for a lot of units in many States out West, you need preference points through like the application system to draw those areas. And like in Colorado, you can apply for points and hunt every year. Uh, you can hunt over the counter and build points at the same time. So you could do both. And the, I, my, I'm of the opinion that the worst thing you could do is build points and not hunt while you're building points and make the first hunt you do a limited entry unit hunt because you have zero experience and you're going to a, like a really cool place that provides mm -hmm. some opportunity. That's like, if you already know how to hunt bucks or bulls, by the time you draw that, the odds are hugely in your favor to be successful versus just like make that your first go. So like over the counter hunts, I'm not definitely aren't easy. 
but neither are limited entry hunts. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. people are like limited entry. You just walk out there and shoot whatever you want. It's not like that. <laughs> like yeah, it, there's yeah. just less people. It's still just as hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. Um, but that's why I'm like, uh, you know, like Will said, like antelope is an awesome one. I think mule deer hunting is an excellent 10 out of 10 experience for someone just trying to get into it because typically I'm not going to say hundred percent of the time, typically they're easier to find especially if it's a doe tag, finding a mule deer doe to hunt and kill is, is I think quite easy in a lot of places. So, uh, you know, if you want to get, you know, some miles under your belt, hike in, kill an animal, break it down, pack meat, that kind of thing. That I think is sweet. Like, that's why mm-hmm. I like going to Montana and doing that. It's not super high elevation and you know, the Eastern part of it. And so you can, you can hang on a lot of miles in a day without burning yourself to the ground and getting elevation sickness if that's something that hits you or what you know whatever so i don't know it depends what your like i said depends what your goals are i think everybody's different but i just think everybody should get out there and do it or you know find even if you don't have somebody that you know that does it it's like there's a lot of information out there and and just do some research uh there's some good websites. i use go hunt a ton um so, you know, that, that will give you draw statistics for a lot of places. It'll give you rough success rate stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. for over the counter units, it's tough because I don't know how they pull those stats, but, um, you know, you can see like for an area that might be pretty good, like how many points does that actually take or whatever, that kind of thing. So, um, the other thing that's notable too, about like, I think why I wanted to go on this hunt to learn is just, I mean, you learn what you need and don't need out there. If you're, if you're dealing with, you know, <laughs> yeah. staying out in the mountains for multiple days, I, I at least have a tendency to overpack and you kind of learn the tools that you have that make that much of a difference and the stuff that you're the shit that you're not going to touch for the whole week. So you yeah. might be like, Oh, I brought like way too many electrolyte packets this week. I just need mm-hmm. one for every day, or I don't need this many hand warmers, or I don't really need to hike a cast iron pan down the mountain. Um, learn that one the hard way. But so like you learn the gear that makes the difference and that's going to add up for when you have your points and are ready to go hunt your, your dream bull. But yeah. I, well, who's to say it you, can't happen at any point. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You can, you can kill anything in any unit. So it's like, who knows? But yeah, you're right. I feel like I take less gear every time I go. Like there's yep. always something I'm like, yep, cut that, cut that. Like packing for a trip now is pretty easy. Like I don't take that much gear anymore, but, uh, yeah. And you figure out what it takes for something to fail or like what, how far can you push something? You know, like the past couple of years, I, like one thing I still, I'm awful at this. If anyone ever hunts with me, I'm sorry because you, I will blow this for you. I am awful at water management when it is below freezing terrible terrible like when you're talking like carrying water with you that you can drink mine will be frozen for sure and like then you find out well how many hours can i hike before i start like hallucinating and shit because i haven't drinking any water <laughs> like i some snow. yeah it's five <laughs> five, yeah, five. five hours <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so but uh yeah, I don't know. That's just like one thing I, and I know every time, but I, uh, that's how it is. And then it always seems like that's when we kill one. So then it ends up being a whole thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of factors that go into it and sometimes it bites in the ass and sometimes it doesn't, but it's, it's, it's fun. Like no matter how hard it is, this is the crazy part. 
matter how hard it is, like even when you're packing a meat out and you're like, oh my God, like I literally don't think I can walk another hundred yards and it's still three miles, right? Whatever. The moment you hit like the truck or base camp or whatever, you take your pack off and everything. And you're just like, you take like a deep breath and you're like, holy shit. And then you're like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> Type two like, fun, that's no, no matter how bad it was, like you're like, dude, I'm definitely dead for sure. And then you make it to the truck and you set your pack down. And you're like, that was sick. <laughs> yeah. I, it's type it's two fun it's it sucks in the moment and then you get back and you got something to remember it by yeah 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 and i feel like that's just good advice you guys gave if i had to wrap up everything mavs said and everything ryan's said is any experience is good experience and the little stuff even just gear management what you bring in what you don't like i do little trips up north like with my girlfriend all the time and i piss pack the truck if there's room i bring stuff and just and that's a Midwest mentality of doing like, you know, shit with your truck or with a trailer yeah. or with whatever, like, but to put yourself in that position where you're like, I need to only pack exactly what I need. Just like if you're doing like, you know, a canoe trip at, you know, the boundary waters, like that is something that is so far out of my skill level that I would have to learn so much. And I even doing it one time would put you 500 steps above where you were doing it the first time. And that's just doing it. I, I bet just doing it. You going into a second year Mav, you'll be like, holy shit, you're going to do it totally different or just different. Yeah, I think, I think there's something to be said about that. Like now that the first one's under the belt, it's like, okay, like now I know what to expect next year for the most yeah. part. And well, at least and I like, can go on with that experience and, you know, you just take it on the chin. And and it sounds like just, you had a positive experience. It's like you want to go yeah. back and do it. Like, it, it yeah. keep, you know, it's fueling the fire versus you you're like, man, that sucked. Well, you know? I, yeah, <laughs> not, yeah, like. Definitely had a tendency to overthink at the beginning. I mean, I was definitely going a little buying gear crazy, but I used all of the new gear that I ended up buying out there. It's just like you, yeah, you learn like you know what makes the big difference. And I think you know having that that anxiety of not going on the trip and having all of this new gear that you think is going to make a giant difference, then getting out there and realizing okay, it's still it's still the mountains in the cold, yeah. and you know you're still struggling. Um, yeah. You know, it gives you confidence for the next time you go do it because you're like, I've done this shit. Like I've, I've slept in the mountains five miles away from anything and yeah. survived for eight days. Like that's the biggest part that. Well, and that's, where that's a great point. Like the being like, dude, I survived or whatever. It's like you, <laughs> the crazy part is, especially out there, most places in the mountains, in the back country, where if you, if you are like actually camping versus like hotel hunting, which I know a lot of guys do too, is like you have typically don't have service or anything right so it's like you're totally disconnected and, and and it goes from like man i was worried about like work and all this stuff to like my 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 thoughts are like solely on like okay uh we need to glass in the morning and we need to uh drink enough water to not die and probably have some food tonight like you're like Such you're very like, instinctual thoughts like just dude, it's, really it's, instinctual and it's thoughts. and it's not something you have to learn like all it just go just happens you're like okay yeah. well we need to figure out where we're getting water from today or like we need to boil some fucking snow or whatever like it's Cut not firewood like, it's not like i'm sitting in my house going man i i fuck with some snow tonight and just go outside <laughs> and scoop you well, know what i mean it's straight, it's straight like i think dopamine detox is getting like a lot of buzz lately like people taking breaks from their phones and finding vacations that they don't have like you know emails buzzing and computer access and it's dopamine detox and your dopamine then is you know going hunting and yeah, like so I definitely sick. experienced that out there. It's like, you know, you're not, we had a little bit of service on the mountain. Some mm -hmm. people were choosing to scroll on TikTok and whatnot, but I was like, I'm leaving that thing in the tent. Yeah. And 
you know yeah that's this sweet mountain, mountain so time sacred man you gotta you gotta take those times when you can because i don't know i don't know how you guys operate but i probably get like maybe a couple weeks a year where i can just like be off of my phone like two weeks maybe where it's just like i don't need to contact anyone those are super and those are nice yeah no it's 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 healing in a way it is healing yeah Okay, yeah. we we got we got to transition. That's good talk, you're but right. we got to transition right. to something we call the weigh-in, and and yeah. we got to do it really quick, and then we got to let our guests go because I know we're taking a lot of their time. But the weigh-in is sweet. Ryan, explain to them the weigh-in. Okay, so the way the weigh-in works is uh, we all get to select four things of like a particular topic. So the way this works is we'll kind we'll like select an order to go. So we'll all basically go in like a snake draft style order. So just like one, two, three, four, and then four gets to pick again and we'll work backwards then. Um, And it's just trying to select four things. This is like building your roster. So make a, you know, a list of four things that you think the most people will vote for. So we'll post this on social media. We'll have some fans vote on it. We'll see who wins. So the way this works is we pick a topic. This week's topic is uh, the worst Thanksgiving foods. So you need to select four things and we'll go through. So, and if somebody picks something, you can't pick it again. So, and then this one will have to be fairly specific because there's not like thousands of things to pick from here. So, um, I don't know how we want to select order. I'll, uh, how about this? I'll, do do, do you want to give them 10 seconds? Give them a 10 or 15 seconds to think about this. And yeah. that's just because I, I, I solely want 10 or 15 seconds. To think <laughs> no, that's yeah. fine. That's you fine. want to give our we'll... guests 10 or 15 seconds? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I'll, uh, cause best I'll... Thanksgiving food is so easy, but worst Thanksgiving food, the that's worst. It's tough. tough. That's right. tough. Right. And like, obviously people have to agree with you. So, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'll make four scraps of paper here. Numbers one through four, mix them up and then I'll hold them up and then we'll each just pick one and that'll be our order. Four. Okay. So, uh, Sam, all of you pick first. I got, uh, right hand or left hand, uh, hand farthest to the deer head. No, no. Farthest to the deer. You want this one? Yeah. Yeah. All right. That is number two. Okay. Is that good? Well, you're, you get to go second. (laughs) That's good. All right. That's good. (laughs) Mav, Mav, you want, uh, this one or this one? Let's go the next to the the lamp. Oh, well, this one, the this one, one by the lamp, yeah. right here. All right, that is four. So you'll get yeah, pick yeah. four and then pick five back Sick. to back. That's terrible. Well, it's actually good, Splash, baby. You, you, you Best for last. Worst for right, last. Pint, you're up. You got the you got the the lamp or the deer. I'll go deer head. All right, deer head. That is uh, that's three. Solid spot. There we go. All right, so I'll go. I got one. So all right, perfect. That's the order. So. All right, I'll I'll lead this off. So uh, I'm taking my my one of one pick is uh, kale salad, Ooh. the classic Thanksgiving kale salad. That's tough. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, Sam, you're up. I'm gonna go squash, squash Ooh. in any form. I'm not a huge squash guy. It's one of the only foods I'm really not a fan of, and I'm just. Squash always comes out on Thanksgiving, and it's just—it's not my deal. No, not it, no, eh? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the worst Next squash one. preparation? 
Oh, <laughs> no, I don't look at it twice to, to realize the preparation. <laughs> I saw it once it. and I was like, Them's He's like, I had room for that, but I just spilled <laughs> it with gravy. Sorry, boy. You will never get this. <laughs> la, 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 la. <laughs> All right. Uh, Pint, I think you're up. Um, so my number, my number one is stuffing, but not just stuffing. It's the stuffing. I feel like everyone's got that one uncle who's divorced and he brings a stuffing that's just like out of the box and you pour water in it. And then you put that out for Thanksgiving. Yeah, that stuffing has got to be high up there. It's a little crusty, like straight out the real box. salty. Well, the box is like nothing but sodium, either box, crusty or just like a straight sog fest. Like yeah, sog fest like is the one soup. So yeah. nice and mushy. It's a so good one. Stuffing out of the box, it's like oatmeal. Okay, box stuffing. Box stuffing. All right, got it. That's solid pick. All right, Mavs, you go. You go back to back here. Oh, you got okay. two. All right, so. In no particular order, because they're equally gnarly to me. The uh, the marshmallow sweet potato casserole oh, that's yeah. made it out a couple times. <laughs> yeah, that is some gnarly shit. Like you feel like you're eating. I don't know. It's sweet, but it it tastes like a cavity, but death at the same time. Yeah. And then uh, in close second, we got. You know, like I love I like cranberry sauce. Like eating it on on turkey. But when you got the canned stuff, when your aunt's uh. just flucking that can, the thing just <laughs> cylinder just comes out, and it still has the ridges on the on dude. The side. Canned cranberry sauce needs to be just deleted from this world. It's scary. Yeah, if you're making homemade cranberry sauce, I'm eating it. But that canned stuff that can stay at home, it like peels off in like chunks too. It's like oh yeah, oh, mm. that's the stuff. Ocean spray, <laughs> baby. Yeah. Yeah. Put that in a Capri Sun <laughs> packet. Eat that up in the mountains. Get your electrolytes, boys. Jeez. Got the canned cranberries. Oh yeah. Damn. All right, Pent, back to you. All right. So Mav snagged my second pick there, but we'll go with my third, which is like the I don't even know what it's called, but I just wrote down the fluffy fruit salad. I think that's oh. disgusting. Oh. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's just yeah. me. But I feel like yep. both that's sides of my family. Thing. You go through the line, you go up for seconds, and that, Dude, that gonna... bowl of fluffy fruit salad is always still there, and only like your six-year-old cousin yeah. grabbed a spoonful of it. But the beautiful the thing is that they make, there's like they some make... crunch in there. Oh yeah, that's the dusty ass walnuts <laughs> on top. <laughs> I but my favorite thing is like no matter how shitty it is, there's always no less than ten pounds of it. Oh, oh, it's, it's oh, a bowl. yeah, it's oh, a yeah. Bowl. Like, oh, was, oh, was there not like was filled there not over a past the smaller recipe on the gosh damn website? Like, yeah, ugh. whatever aunt or cousin makes it that makes it every year, they make it as if it gets finished and cleaned off the plate. Yep. And you know, there's you can literally see the bites, and, and there's been two scoops taken out of it. Yep. No one else took it, but they make Take a little quantity every year that you're like, no way. No way. And, no and, and way. then like because and then because you ate it once when you were four, they were like, I brought it because you yep. like it. Yeah. Yep. You're like <sighs> well, take a little wait, nibble wait. off the apple chunks. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. Fluffy fruit salad. Well Talent. played. Nice. Yeah, well played. Nice. That was nice. All right, Soby. Follow that up. Jeez. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I, I am gonna say just like Cole said, I had exactly what Mav had. Odd sweet potato marshmallows. Yeah. Yeah, he says it, I'm like, 
Yes, yes, I agree. But <laughs> damn it, dude. I was like, I had this one in my brain. Okay. Um, there's, it's not exactly that it's gross, but some aunt or some cousin always makes like a jello with a cream on it. And you do like jello, so you take it, but then it almost kind of gets warm and it bleeds onto everything else. And then you got red that bleeds into your mashed potatoes into everything mm. else. And you're kind of like, well, maybe I should have got that later. Or I don't know. It, it's I'm ranking in the worst foods because it's a bleeder. Does that make sense? So what, what are we calling the, the jello bleeder? Jello with cream bleeder. Jello plus cream <laughs> bleeder. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, that's a strong pick, boy. <laughs> Yummy. <laughs> Oh God. Okay. I like that. That's good. All right. So I go, I got back to back here. So I'm, uh, I'm taking, I'm taking overly salty gravy. Ooh. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was like uncle Tim came and he was like, got the gravy this time. Fuck. Yeah. It up. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Right, yeah. I'm yeah. That's what I'm taking because that's the thing. It's like gravy's the bomb. But if it's too salty, it sucks. It's like swimming in the ocean, baby. All right, overly salty gravy. Yeah. Got that ocean gravy. Mm. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then I'm going to back that up. I'm saying this just because I think the word is offensive to some people, and I think I'm going to strike one with the audience here. I'm just going giblets. Giblets. Giblets, boy. How, how you mean? Yeah, how you mean? How, what is that? Giblet. Giblets is that's that's like everything in that bag inside the turkey. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know, sometimes it turns into gravy, Rough. sometimes it's not. I don't know. I'm taking giblets. All right. That's yeah, that's not up my alley either. Gotta say. All right, Sam, back to you. <sighs> I'm hurting. I, this is this is such kind of like a cop out, oh, but I'm doing it okay. Mm -hmm. uh, worst kind of Thanksgiving food is minimal leftovers. Say so you Ooh, find something you love, okay? and there's very little of it left, and you take home just a small portion of that leftover, and you're like, "Damn it! I wanted all of you, yeah, but you were devoured." Damn. That's good. That's so, a solid pick. Minimal left. That, minimal that, leftovers. That's respectful. What, what is the ideal leftover in your mind? Or is it just everything? I'm, I, I'm a simple man. Maybe just some dark meat turkey with a beautiful gravy with some mashed potatoes or a twice, twice baked potato from grandma. And so you're, taking, like, you're taking the Thanksgiving trinity. Yeah, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, yeah. and there's not much of it left, and there's maybe just like a heavy amount of like some not as great. Yeah, yeah, I do love a green bean casserole or something too, but there, there's a lot. Just not enough. Yeah, there's not enough, yeah. The good stuff has been picked on, and then, you know, they give you that yeah. pile of fruit salad, and you're like, oh, thank you, dude. I'm going to tear this up all week. <laughs> <laughs> Hugs and kisses, you know, safe travels home. Yeah. You, know, you guys get home safe. Watch for deer. Okay. God bless. <laughs> fruit salad. Oh, God. God bless. All right, fruit Pitt, salad. back to you. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know how everyone else's Thanksgivings go, but for for mine and specifically on one side of my family, my dad's side, it's like this big, like 
five star meal for for the main meal and then everyone eats then after you have like start drinking like some beers the girls have some wine or whatever and it's kind of when like the like the snack food start coming out on the table maybe your uncle brought like venison sticks or jerky or something and there's always the one uncle and i i'm not a picky eater by any means i can eat pickled gizzards i can eat all that stuff but head cheese I cannot myself. You're so check. You're so check. I am check. Check in Germany. Maybe maybe that's not even a Thanksgiving food, but it comes out every Thanksgiving on my dad's side after you've eaten two or three plates already. Of delicious food. Yeah. And you can barely get me to take a little bit of head cheese on a saltine cracker. And I I just can't do it. I don't know. Let me get that. Let me Mm. get that meat jello, bruh. Yeah. That meat jello in my mouth. I just want for for all the folks out there. I just gave a quick Google: head cheese or brawn is a cold cut uh, of meat jelly that oriented in Europe and is made with the flesh from the head of a calf or pig. <laughs> Typically set in. Oh, hold on! I clicked on it. Oh boy! Here we go. So basically, if you were taking, if you were making a euro mount, you scooped out everything and made it into a jello. That's what head cheese is. Yeah, it's like say, it's like Ludafisk, but somehow yeah. sounds more nasty. Yeah, uh, yeah. say yeah. less. Mm. <laughs> Give me a bush light to wash it down with. Well played, head cheese. Head cheese, good, good pick for sure. Oh. On your dad's side, that comes out. Strong. Right? Strong. <laughs> am I, oh am I down here? Uh, yeah. So these are your last two picks right here. Hammer. Okay, down. so we're starting out with the. The elucid raw veggie platter that oh, shows up before Thanksgiving God. starts. You get that raw broccoli with the little white yeah. dipping sauce. What? That is Who, actually a fantastic. And, te- and tell me now, you're kind of hungry, so you kind of eat it, but you yeah, don't like, love it. You're like, I'm freaking hungry as shit, so I'm going to have some. But you don't like you're it. You're on a cherry tomato. You're gnawing on some raw broccoli. I mean, nothing it's, like it. Raw cauliflower is insane. Raw cauliflower is say, absolutely it's, it's insane. The one, the one, one day a year that you look at that cauliflower and you're like, that's the I'm best like, option right there. <laughs> what, are we, what are we doing here? Yeah. What the heck are we doing here? Like, boiled veggies even, like, I don't know. Like if they're seasoned right, but the raw shit, come on. <laughs> and I'm taking trees. A, I'm taking a really hot take for my last pick. Okay. Probably gonna get some hate for this one. Love it. White meat. Just Ooh, the, in general. Breast oh meat from turkey is buns. You got <laughs> you you get that cut and like if it's not cooked perfectly right, it's yeah. dry. And you have that that fat grizzle around, and I'm like trying to avoid that shit like the plague. You get a piece of dark meat; it's always flavorful, usually nice and moist, melts in your that, mouth. That White meat, a, yeah, I fuck with dark you, meat. You need to douse that stuff in gravy and like get some mashed potatoes in there for it to even go down the hash. For me personally, that's yeah. that's my opinion. But no, you're, you're that's going to be a really cool answer because it's going to be so cut in the middle because I. I am totally in agreement. Like dark meat is juicy, it's rich, it's beautiful. And then there's, dude, I have aunts and uncles that they like, they do not eat dark meat. Like they don't, no, I don't eat the dark meat. And I'm like, like scared of it, yeah, yeah. And I'm literally like, what? That's the that's the pieces that have the juice. That's the taste. Like, that's it. That's, that's the the stuff that's closest to the bone with all the flavor. To each yeah. their own, man. But oh, I can't. I'm with you, dude. I'm with I'm glad you. you. I'm glad you said it. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> People thought it and you said it. 
<laughs> Skin's never crispy. You got that fat grizzle. I mean, come on now. That's Just get yourself thing. a chunk of dark meat. Let's go. Yes. All right, Pint, back to you. Bring her home here. All right, last one I struggled big time to think of. Uh, I wrote down soggy apple pie. So I think it's taken one of the great Thanksgiving foods and yeah. preparing it poorly that I just can't do. Like if you're done with, you're done eating and you've had a little bit of that head cheese now and you want to go back for some apple pie and you take the slice of apple pie and you put it on your plate and it all just leaks out the side and it becomes a soup on your plate. It just doesn't do it for me. I don't know. The pin oh, Thanksgiving yeah. sounds rugged. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wild, man. It's a, <laughs> it's a culinary experience. Not really, all these happen oh, every yeah. year consistently, <laughs> but just from year to year. You take just what been, you get. Your taste buds have just been dragged through the mud from delicious, well, probably the veggies tray when you're really hungry. Yeah. And then oh, when yeah. you're like kind of full after the snacks and hors d'oeuvres, you hit beautiful food and then that head cheese. And then I'm sure there's some desserts that aunts and uncles bring out. And then you get hit with that apple pie. And then you probably get yeah. hit with more head cheese. And you're just like, <laughs> oh. See, mo most people fall asleep from the food coma. He's just like, just make it stop, bro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sleep it off. Sleep off. <laughs> that's incredible. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. All right, Sam, what do you got? Oh, I have another. This is your last one, dude. Oh, I have no oh my gosh, are you serious? Yeah, Hunter P. I thought I was out. I thought I was done. I was just you only picked three, dude. I was commenting as a fan of Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um okay, I'm, I'm gonna go with the bot mint dessert that one aunt always brings. So, like they brought a dessert that's kind of chocolatey and minty, and it's a little too minty, and and she bought it clearly. And she brought it and, it and it's, and it's disgusting. You know what I mean? It's not like homemade cookies or a pie or like you could buy a pie and it's going to, you know, you shot. You can off. justify this all you want. But this is a weak ass pick. Okay. It's bought mint dessert. Okay. And it's, okay. I will write that down. That is, um, that was, that's like very niche. I can't say I've ever had the bot mint dessert, but just like I, a chocolate I, thing that has mint in it. It's like a chocolate brownie mintish thing. And you're like, why is it not just a brownie? This sounds minty. very personal. Yeah, <laughs> targeting. Yeah. Hurt you. Was was just like, oh shit! I got my good Thanksgiving. Time. I was low on ideas. It's always not a. <laughs> it was a sidebar. It wasn't even in my top three. God damn it! <laughs> Mav took my odd sweet potato marshmallows. <laughs> so sorry. He used I'm that. Sorry. He used that back to back pick very well in round one. Yeah, yeah. That um, was that was that was a shot to the heart. Okay. So sorry. All right, I uh okay, so I got the last say here. I'm gonna go. Oh shit! I'm take. I'm taking the. I'm taking the Brussels sprouts as my final pick here. Really? I feel like I. I. Damn. I, I feel like often, at least at at our family uh, gatherings, they are not done well. Really? Because Brussels sprouts can be really good. They can be. They can be. But they aren't. No, no balsamic around there. No bacon bits. No nothing. Onions. See now that. Would make it good. Mm. <laughs> if you're raw dog and Brussels sprouts at Thanksgiving, no seasoning, you yeah. got another thing coming, buddy. Yeah. You got to go to bed. Yeah. Like, just leave the Brussels sprouts to somebody else. That's scary. But yeah, yeah unseasoned your, Brussels sprouts. Your pee is going to smell for three days either way. So you might as well enjoy them while you're eating them. Because if you eat bad Brussels sprouts and your pee smells yeah. after, it's just not worth it. Yeah. yeah. That's no, a for double sure. whammy. So I'm just taking Brussels sprouts as a as a whole for that one. 
All right. So you so I, you so picked that because you knew it'd get votes. Don't you lie to me. I did. I'm pandering hard. <laughs> I, I need this. All right. All right. So I'm I'll run through everybody. So uh um so I got my my roster here. Kale salad, overly salty gravy, giblets, and Brussels sprouts. Solid. Sobe going with squash, uh jello and cream bleeder. Uh, solid <laughs> minimal leftovers and bought mint dessert so solid till the end doll if i could round that out i'd i'd freaking win this son of a bitch i'm giving uh, a 10 for creativity it, on that these all these like are a, pretty personal there's like three out of three out of four that are like those are direct shots at certain yeah. people in his family gathering damn it okay. if my family. aunts listen to this they're just gonna <laughs> <laughs> you need you need an alias out here <laughs> they're gonna have so much of that mint shit dude you don't even know <laughs> All right. imagine they show up in doubles pints rolling with box stuffing fluffy fruit salad head cheese and soggy apple pie Ooh, good that's strong that's you ended it well. The head cheese and soggy apple pie are gonna. Yeah, are gonna it, it almost sounds like I, I live in like a live in like a trailer park with my whole family. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving from the pins. <laughs> Go, both from Montgomery. We gotta remember that. <laughs> I can imagine all those as a meal: just head cheese oh. and mm. some soggy apple pie. Mm. Oh Boy. yeah, smoothie. these are actually yeah. staples. All of them. <laughs> make right. a smoothie. And then Mavs rolling with marshmallow sweet potato. Uh, casserole, strong. Uh, canned cranberry sauce, raw veggie platter, and white meat. Mm. That's gonna be very, a hot take. Now that I'm hearing it on paper, it's gonna be a hot, a hot take. take. Very strong. It, I feel end. like people very are either with end. you or against you, and there is no yeah. middle ground. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're like board this train, and then they get to white meat, and they're gonna be like, brother. <laughs> That's all I eat. You're either yeah. gonna get like fifty percent votes, or you're gonna win unanimously. Promise. Like the natives you. are is, getting restless. Yeah. There's no in between. There's no in between. That, that I, gotta say, I gotta say, all this, all this talk about Thanksgiving food, I gotta, I gotta give admiration to one Thanksgiving food that's made its way into popularity in the last three years, and that's gotta yeah. be charcuterie shik- shik- boards. Ooh, we, yeah, we can appreciate yeah. a good charcuterie well, board. Oh yeah. Just a round of applause, you know. Yeah. God damn. Like, yes, we we're spending all this time talking about bad foods. I just had to throw it out there. I'm yeah, I'm no, looking forward right, to a good dude. a good charcuterie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, people yeah. hammer down, and it's almost commonplace now. Like every family, oh, yeah. like someone's bringing a charcuterie board, and I don't somebody, care every event, every gathering. Somebody wants yeah. to post that Instagram picture. You know, they want yeah, to say that they made that thing. So <laughs> yeah. if it's auntie, if it's uncle, who knows? But they're getting yeah. that picture, and they're they're doing it up. It's coming. It's coming for sure. No, I'm psyched. I mean, like I. I actually love doing like a lot of the cooking too, like for at least for Thanksgiving. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I know Mav, you do a ton of cooking and stuff too. So like, I don't know how much of that, or you do like a big family thing or just like pretty low. Yeah. We do big family things. Labor of love, man. Every time I don't know. Cooking is a good way to show that you care about people. So Thanksgiving is just a good way to contribute. And cooking is a labor of love. A hundred percent. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. No, that I think that was good. We'll see. We'll post that up on, on Instagram. We'll get some people voting on it see what goes down. But I think that I think it's going to be close. I really do. I think it'll yeah. be fairly even. I think there's a lot of good ones in there. Just know, Auntie, if you're watching this, I understand it's a labor of love. Your your bad marshmallow hot dish, I appreciate just as much, even though I'm not eating that stuff up. But just <laughs> but if it wasn't there, you'd be like, what up? Maybe hold off on the head cheese. <laughs> you know? the head I cheese. love you. I appreciate yeah. your gesture, but 
God damn, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. All right. Well, we've rambled for a long time here. Uh, I I mean, I don't know how much more we want to get into. I I don't want to talk too many stories because otherwise this is going to go till midnight. Yeah. So what do you boys? I mean, anybody got anything else they want to get into here? Well, I feel like Pitt didn't even get to jump into his whitetail story. He was yeah, he was go, starting up real nice, and you know, let, let's put on that. We'll save we'll yeah. save some more of the elk hunting stuff for for the next episode because uh, that story is a little longer. So, Pint, uh, let's get into that. Uh, let's do that right before we wrap things up here. Give us because I know there is a video out there, so that's super sweet. We can kind of pump that. Um, and just give us kind of a breakdown, I guess. To, to wait, where, where can I find that video at? I think it's on that that one that one uh, on, that guy from so, from like Minnesota. He does some like ice fishing and bass fishing and, and shit. Uh, I think his name is in depth out in depth indoors. No, that's not it's that. In, it's not that. I, it's like it's this. It's this guy, right? Oh, oh shit! You got the right yeah. point because I did that. <laughs> <laughs> My directions all pointed out. Right Who is it? Yeah. It's this guy. It's a poker. Go into detail about <laughs> you and your brother because you and your brother you hunt an eighty-acre piece and you guys do something like I, I've gotten a lot of DMs and questions about like oh Pint Ranch, how big is Pint Ranch? And it's like it's eighty acres. You know what I mean? Well, and what you and you... your brother have done and. Yeah, just just go into yeah. it. Yeah, and, really and before cool. and before you, you start awesome. the story, I there's always there's always haters when somebody kills like a nice buck or a nice whatever. So like a really like, nice I, one. If it's nice, yeah. they're like, oh, nice job. But if it's like, you're like really whatever, nice? but then you shoot something big and everyone's like, oh, it must be nice. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> but so I I I don't put any any weight in the people. That don't know, know what that's like. Me. Also, I don't know what that's like at all. Same, <laughs> same, hard, same for a decade or two. So roll, roll us, roll us through the, uh, kind of the, the play by play of this, of this hunt. Um, so yeah, I guess we got, I mean, we're the same as everyone else who hunts in Southern Minnesota. We got neighbors that hunt on, on all four sides of our, of our 80 acre piece. We're not, we're not seeing deer that nobody else is seeing. Um, it's the same as everyone else that goes out to deer camp. Um, I had cameras out running in June. And the deer I eventually ended up getting, I got a picture of on June 1st. Um, he basically just had two like Coke cans basically coming out of the top of his head. The one side had like four stickers already started and the other side had three, I think. And I saved that picture immediately. I was like, this is going to be my target buck. I had never seen what I thought. I had never seen him on camera before. And I still don't know for sure if we had him previous years on camera or not. Um, but I did have a neighbor tell me they had a 12 pointer the year prior that they had seen and didn't get. Um, so then, yeah, that's June 1st, fast forward to actual bow opener this year, middle of September. Um, it was warm out. I just wanted to get out for a sit. So I went out for the morning sit, um, climbed down after my morning sit and I actually walked around the woods and I hung another set just because I was like scouting around. Um, didn't think there was anything special. We had like a couple eights and a couple tens on camera. Um, and after I hung that other set, after walking around for like half an hour, checked my one SD card camera and that deer um, was on the camera like two hours before I climbed into my stand. So 
he was fully grown at that point, dropped his velvet, and he was clearly a 12-pointer with like a, a second main beam and a bunch of stickers. And so I was kicking myself because I had just walked through the entire one of the two woods on the property um, and stirred everything up. And then basically fast forward from like September 15th to kind of like the first week in October. I hunted pretty steady throughout September, saw one or two small bucks and then early October hit and this buck showed up on camera five out of seven nights before I shot him at like two in the morning. Um, so I literally like the week that he started showing up, Sam was texting me. He's like, Hey dude, I know you don't film any of your hunts. I know you'd rather capture or not capture anything and get this deer than try to capture it and screw it up. Um, so I literally bought like a muddy camera arm I bought a magnetic cell phone attachment, put a magnet in the back of my phone case. And the first day I set it up, um, evening hunt had first time I ever filmed like an intro or like a up in the stand interview ever. Like I was just doing it just to see what it was like. Six does kind of worked out into the field like an hour before sunset. Um, and then in this bedding area, like 70 yards away. So I, I, I walked by this deer like 70 yards from him when I climbed into my stand. Those are out in the field and I just hear him tearing up these, like this small patch of trees. Um, so I know there's a buck in there. Don't know what it is. These does are looking over their shoulder nonstop for like 20 minutes. Um, and then that's when I, when I started rolling, rolling, well, the camera, my phone. And eventually this buck walks into the field, like, 75 yards away from me and i can tell right away he has a second main beam it's the buck that i want to shoot first time i've i've ever seen him out of the stand and at that point basically just wanted to record it on my phone just to say that i saw him um and all of a sudden all these does throw their heads up they look towards where the buck is which is further away from me and i i don't know what it is i don't have a trail camera on the other side of the food plot to capture what would have been over there or if it was anything they could have i mean they could have heard a motorcycle on the road. They could have, they could, there could have been a skunk. There could have been our house cat. Like I have, I have no idea Gosh. what it was that these does heard or saw or smelled, but all these does started running my direction. And uh, so there's six deer running right at me. Um, I knew the buck was going to follow the does. So I pretty much, I have a one pin sight. It was at 25 yards. Um, he started running at me. I, I grunted at him when he got to 25. And for some reason, he stopped exactly where I would plan for a deer to stop. And he was looking at like right up at me in my stand. And I feel like I'm like a very instinctual hunter. Like all my bow kills in the past have not been like how I drew them up. They've been kind of like unique shots or, but they've all been broadside. And this one just presented perfect frontal. And any prior year, any prior situation, even like a week before, if I would have had that shot, I, I don't know if I would have taken it or not, depending on the situation, but it was just perfect where I could like visualize where this arrow was going to enter and where it was going to exit. And it was my first time actually hunting with expandable broadheads ever. I used them on my bear hunt earlier that fall and it cut a huge hole and the thing blood like crazy. I definitely didn't plan on taking a frontal shot with it, but took the frontal shot like 22 yards um and it ended up exiting right in front of his hind quarter and split the heart in half and the thing went 40 yards and uh 
I didn't but see a tip over, but I heard it. Frontal yeah. pegged him right here. So, like that's. Did yeah. you did you see it start pumping immediately, or were you unsure one like on impact? I knew he was dead on impact because the arrow buried up to the fletchings, and okay. I knew that meant I hit that softball size hole that they yeah, have. You got in the in the pocket. Yeah. Yep. So I knew he was dead, um, but I didn't see the blood pumping like you will on some like elk videos you watch or some of the whitetail videos you watch on hard shots where you can see blood pumping right away. But you were so, confident, like you felt good after the shot. Yeah. 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 It was like climbing out of the stand. I didn't even check the arrow or well, not the arrow, but the impact because the arrow, the arrow stayed in him. It ended up falling out of him on a pass through like 20 yards from where I hit him, mm-hmm. but kind of looked at implant pack. Didn't see any blood. So just walked to the house, called Sam. Um, that's kind of where like the video part of it starts, but it was probably one of the most confident shots I've ever taken. And that's another thing like you were saying about like a guy shoots a big deer. There's always going to be the person who says like, Oh yeah, where are you hunting? How high is the fence? All this stuff. But like the shot too, I couldn't believe how many people were pissed in saying that shot is just like absolute luck. And just like, I couldn't believe the amount of people that there's a very ethical shot that elk hunters utilize like crazy for bow hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's sure it's a challenging shot, but they don't know how often a guy shoots his bow throughout the week to make sure you're freaking dialed. And just, just, yeah. they don't know if that deer was on edge or if he was just stopped and not all, there's so many different variables that go, go into a shot that if you're not there, you don't really, you don't know. And there's a lot of situations where I probably wouldn't have taken that shot where if he, instead of looking my direction, if he was looking at me in the tree, that's probably a shot I don't take because he's going to, he's going to jump the string or drop and I'm going to hit him in the upper neck or the head or something ridiculous. Right. So it's just like so situational. And it, I mean, it, I agree with you though. Cause I think people that say that stuff have probably never actually been in that situation and yep. taken that shot or they have zero experience. They're just like, they saw it in a video and, and mm-hmm. some dude was like, yep, shouldn't do that. Yeah. They're used to seeing yep. their uh, foam, foam deer in the backyard broadside <laughs> every day. Yeah. yeah. But like, to your point, you're like, dude, took the shot deer was dead in 40 yards probably <laughs> five seconds after the yep. shot thing was yeah. totaled yeah. yeah and i mean it it, it it's just it's like every whitetail hunt i mean no matter how it unfolds it happens way faster than you think it's gonna unfold and you, mm-hmm. you black out and that's i mean that's why we do it isn't it like yeah if you had right. your full composure and you shot a deer and you shot it and then you were just like oh like cool like we wouldn't we wouldn't do it like we do it we wouldn't put the hours of time into it so it's just one of those things that happen super fast. You black out, and and then next thing you know, you're you're recovering it and high fives all around with your with your best buddies and stuff like that. But I don't know, you can't beat it. So how did I mean? I guess I even all like the whitetail bucks that I've shot. I've I guess I've never had what I would consider like a lot of history with a deer, or like you know, been like oh I have all these trail camera photos. I watched them all summer, all this kind of stuff, like. I guess the moment when you knew that you got them, right? Like you, you feel pretty confident after that shot. Obviously there's some hype like right after that, but like mm-hmm. kind of like closing that chapter, like how does that, I mean, does that feel like, does that hit different than just like jumping in a stand and getting a shot on a nice buck versus like, man, I, this is like, you've been dreaming of this moment right here, right? Exact mm-hmm. how this played out. Almost. Yeah. Uh, like, does that hit a little different or, or, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it did. I mean, compared to my other bucks I shot with my bow, which were like 
you knew they were there. You didn't know when they were going to happen. Whereas this one was like, I, I, I should say I've never had one target buck ever before in my life. Okay. Normally I'm like, sick. there's three so or cool. four deer that I'll shoot. And they're all like 115 to 125 inches, 130 yeah, inches, solid something like yeah. that. Like really quality Southern Minnesota deer. I've never had a deer that I was like, I might pass a really nice buck this year for the chance at this one. And the reason Coles would pass a really nice buck is because, so he hunts on this 80 acres with his middle brother and his younger brother. And like for the past three years, Cole has just like crushed, you know, eight or 10 pointers with his bow and his middle brother bow hunts and his youngest brother gun hunts out there. And, you know, he's been kind of the old oldest brother that just like, you know, fuck you dude like come on like and yeah. and then when they got this deer on camera he's like you know I, i'm only gonna try for this deer these other eight or ten pointers that are rolling through from here or there like these are your guys you know what i mean this is your guys this year i'm only gonna I, i'm only probably gonna shoot if freaking nuclear bomb shows up and then no shit nuclear mm -hmm. bomb shows up frontal 22 yards and then yeah. his younger brothers were like dude leap <laughs> leave mom and dad's forever <laughs> yeah yeah and then and then it's just like if that wasn't crazy enough two weeks later i already have the itch i want to get out in the tree so i'm filming my brother isaac the middle one and a buck we didn't have on camera once this year but we had him a ton last year and i'll say it i'll say it straight up his buck was we had both racks together this past weekend and his buck is far more impressive than my buck i i am pausing you right here i am pausing you right here cole shoots this super giant show him the rack you got it right next to you show him on camera for anybody who's watching live yeah let's see this thing i i saw the pit god it's got thing like two sick. double main beams it's thick dude it's like a coke can and like this I, thing this thing what, here that crazy. yes i thought that was what sick the in the heck? video dude it's like it's like it's a separate parallel. from the main antler. Oh, it's sick. So Cole shoots this nuke. His middle brother comes out with us on the track job and sees it and is like excited for him. And I can like see it in his face though, that he's like, he hasn't, yep. he hasn't killed a buck in I think 10 years of bow hunting. Like, so okay. that, that gives you a good picture of like, they're not hunting at pint farms where it's like, Oh yeah, I got out here and I shot that eight pounder and that they're like his middle brother who hunts hard, like hasn't killed. And, mm -hmm. and then later on in weeks to come, Ike, his younger middle brother and I have been texting and I'm like, you know, what'd you see this morning? And he's like, not shit. I'm like, oh, I saw one doe, you know, this far away. What's Stephsy? Uh, maybe this. What'd you see tonight? Not shit. What'd you see tonight? Not shit. He hadn't been seeing deer for like two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Like, like just at goes. all. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nothing. So Sunday, Sunday, what day is it? I'm going to have you, have you tell the rest here, Cole, but Sunday it's, it's the Sunday before. Let me look quick. Or maybe it's the Friday before gun opener or something like that. Like the, like the day before the season opens. The last. Yeah. No, I would, so I think it would have been, I think it would have been before. Sunday, the 22nd of October. Cole's dad has their whole up North deer hunt group come over to their house and they just rip off all their rifles and stuff right by their house. Like you got oh, like eight range day. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, like we're going to sight in our rifles and it's ridiculous. They're just they're. I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So we do that literally like some of our stands are only 120, 150 yards from where we're shooting these rifles. Okay. and every year we rag on our dad we're just like why do we have to do it here can't we do it somewhere else we're the only people who bow hunt 
and also go up north. So like there's these other places we could go shoot rifles and it wouldn't bother anyone else. But so we're shooting there and Isaac kind of doesn't care because he hasn't been seen a ton. He's got the same couple eight and 10 pointers on camera. Um, and when I say eight and 10 pointers, I'm not talking huge deer. There's two bucks that he would shoot. The other ones are like year and a half, two and a half year old bucks. And he's not seeing goats. He's not even seeing No, goals. he's not seeing deer in general. Um, so he's like annoyed by it, but also he's like, it's not hurting anything. There's nothing here right now. And I go out with them for a Sunday evening sit. Um, we get in and I was like, yeah, it's, it's probably that point where we can like, we can rattle, um, tonight with about an hour left and just kind of see what happens. And the night before the night before that, in the middle of the night, we got a picture of a, of a nice eight pointer. It's like 125 inch deer or something like that. Like really quality deer. Um, and Isaac was like, sweet, if that thing's around and we can rattle it in, I'm going to shoot that all day. So with like an hour of shooting light left, um, I gave him the rattling antlers and I'm up in a saddle above him. So I'm kind of like making noise and like the branches and stuff. There's still some leaves on them. Um, and he rattled for like 45 seconds and handed me the rattling antlers. And the thing that I thought was coolest is Isaac said after he rattled, he started shaking right away because last year we rattled in a huge eight pointer, like in the three-day period around this time when this happened. Um, so he said he got like buck fever after he rattled, which is crazy to even think about. <laughs> um, and then like 20 minutes later, this buck that we haven't had on camera for almost exactly 365 days. And we didn't know this at the time. We knew this after we walked up to it and compared it to pictures, but comes walking in. I mean, tears up like two or three trees on his way in, just pissed and kind of started that's when i started recording at that point um that one's also on that that seth guy's youtube channel um and walks in and he shoots it stops it and shoots it in the exact my shot wasn't on video but in the exact footprints where i shot my buck like two weeks prior and it's just yeah. an absolute giant and we knew the shot smoked him and it, it, i don't know the rest of it was just kind of like celebrating it's just a crazy deer it scored like 169 and three eighths and it's just a mainframe with insane length and mass it's i don't know it's nuts and he deserved it more than way more than any deer i would ever deserve because the last year he shot before that i think was with his bow when he was 14 years old and he's 24 now so yeah like sam said 10 years since he had harvested a deer with his bow so that was super cool just like there's something with experiencing and this almost goes to like the out west hunts too when you're hunting with a group there's something that was my first time ever being in a tree with someone whether it was me harvesting or the other person and it's there's something about having like somebody to celebrate when you do something like that that you put so much work into and it just makes it so much more rewarding it it was yeah something that i'll never forget for sure god that's badass and and i respect double down in one season with your bro that's sick yeah yeah, I respect insane. Ike so much too because, like, you shot your buck. Your parents ripped up there at their ranger. We had a bunch of people there. And yeah, it was just we we tore that land up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then a whole week or two after that, he's still literally not seeing a doe. He couldn't have killed a doe if he wanted to. No. And no. and then the day that day earlier in the day, like your whole family comes and they're shooting rifles, and he's in his stand at nine a.m. and your whole family's down there. <laughs> literally 150 yeah. yards from where he hunts, just like unleashing world war three, he gets down and then you guys go decide to hunt that evening. And it's like, 
he probably shouldn't even went out. You probably it's kind of probably seems not. like a waste of absolute time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and God, sure that shit. fire's meant to happen, dude. dude. It's just like meant to be. Screw it. The worst get part out is there. it just makes you it, like now I, I already wish it was like the start of September or, like over again. It's just yeah, yeah. so much more drive to just go and do it again. Now it's nuts. God, dude, yeah. that that's an epic story, honestly, for how it like played out, especially since you didn't it's not like you knew like, oh, these two bucks are on our place and like we got mm-hmm. this plan yeah. and everything. No. It's just like unreal. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible, yeah. man. It was crazy, crazy year for sure. And uh, maybe if I can get close to that sometime in the future, I'd be, I'd be pretty pumped about it. Yeah. Are you, are you, cause you still, you have another brother, right? Yeah. So he, he, still uh, hunting? he hunted both weekends of shotgun. He's still in college. So he's probably going to do the same as like what, what me and my middle brother did and get, get a nice bow after college when you have a little bit of, a little bit of money in your pocket, at least, and you have time to do it. We all went to college out of state. So yeah. Um, you don't really have the time to run home and bow hunt as much as you want to. So I sat with him a couple of gun hunts. He, he passed on a really nice eight pointer. And when I say passed on, I say that in a way where it came in and he had a good shot on it and he passed. And then he texted me while I was up North and he's like, Hey, I think this buck just came in. What should I do? And I said, what, what do you, what are you doing? That's the biggest buck we have on camera right now. And he's, then he texted me like an hour later, he said it came back in and he missed it. But so it's such a, it's such a bummer because you and your brother like set an unrealistic expectation of like the deer you kill at that land, which like, <laughs> I was gonna, Austin, I was gonna like say, he's got yeah. shoes to fill now. I yeah. know. So like he's sitting <laughs> he's in the stand and he sees a giant and he's like, Oh, that's just a piece of shit compared to what he's <laughs> like. And he's the youngest brother. He's probably like, I can't do this. Oh, I'll pass. And now he's probably like, Oh my gosh, I got damn it. it. Yeah, yeah. Boom, take some pot shots far away and is like, dude, I I he's waiting for a 170 to come home. <laughs> yeah. 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 I let him walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we got, we got very spoiled, and I'm ready to definitely ready to come back down to earth next year and kind of like start fresh with get some pictures of some of the bucks that we had this year and start the story over again. I mean, it's, it's fun, yeah, that's awesome. Can't beat it. Well, well done. Like, I mean, Thank mad you. props to that. And the videos are awesome. Like, you'll look yeah. back on those. And yeah, also, huge thanks to Sam for literally just like getting a phone call and hopping in his truck, no matter what he had going on and coming over to film it. Cause there's something about that too, being able to like look back and watch it, remember it. Cause there's yeah. things, there's small details you'll always forget about, like the memories that you make and stuff. So, super yeah. cool to have it to look back on for sure. That's a cool thing. Live that moment whenever you want. Hunting yeah. is like got those high end, like, when you catch a big fish, like I feel like when you catch fish, it's like a big moment. If you and then there's like muskies, you know what I mean? That seem like muskies, I feel like are are in that same realm of like oh, whitetail, sure. you know what I mean? Where they're like big ass moments, unless a really big time musky fisherman that you maybe catch a lot. But like if I caught a big musky on film, I'd be like, I want that footage forever. And then like hunting's one of those things where you're like, damn, dude, this shit might not happen for another 10 years, like an Ike. You know, mm-hmm. where, where when you get that on there, that's for you to film the kill shot of your brother's deer was just like, that's so meant to be. Yeah. It was one of the coolest hunting things I've ever done. And that's like on top of shooting my deer this year. It was so fun. Nothing, and to have yeah, both of them like too. I mean, that's, camera. to have both of them to look back on. I mean, that's great. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's wicked cool. So and like, sick. especially, I mean, I'm assuming you got, are you guys doing, I'm assuming you're getting both those deer mounted, right? Yeah. So yeah. at some so point we, you'll be able to like, oh yeah. Be sick. <laughs> yeah. Some point, some point here we'll be able to, yeah, have them both, both with us at all times wherever we end up living. So they're at the yeah. taxidermist right now, but um, yeah, it's going to be sweet to have those mounts back for sure. Heck yeah. Yeah. No. And I think it's cool that you got like, you got some good people around you to like celebrate that stuff with. Cause that's one thing, like, I don't know, depending on who your buddies are or whatever. And it's like, I, I, especially the past like handful of years, I've been trying to get better at it too, is just like celebrating with, with other people. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. for a while, you're kind of in this thing where you're like bummed out if you're not like being successful and like everyone is and stuff. And it's like, I don't know, like the past handful of years, I'm just like, I just want to be hyped up and like other people's success gets me more fired up now than ever. And like, I love Mm -hmm. that stuff. Like Sam, you do an awesome job about it. Like you're posting everybody's kills and everything. And I think that goes a long way, especially with like how hunting stuff's going these days, you know? Yeah. Just like trying to make it more of a community and keep the hype and everyone's, everyone accomplishes this stuff and they feel awesome about it. And then it's like, just keep that going. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well done. All right. Congratulations, well, man. That's yeah, beautiful. I mean, that's a hell of a story. Too. Like I said, you'll never forget that shit. For mm-hmm. sure. Step so it up. Yeah. Well, we're at dang, we're at dang three hours. Yeah. For If we, anybody has listened this ground. long, if anyone has listened this long, we appreciate you so much. Like we said, we've only paid our guests to go two and a half hours long and, and we're going to be paying them double time now. I think now that they've gone. Like, but, paid? But, yeah, no, but like I said, we have the largest budget in the world. We pay our guests top notch. We get top-notch guests, and we cannot thank Cole Pint and Maverick Joes enough for coming on here and talking everything from freaking gear to YouTube to out west hunting to whitetail hunting to first-year experiences to everything they're experiencing in between kind of their hunting journey and their outdoor journeys. And it's like, seriously, thank you guys for coming on for three hours long, and thank you guys, whoever's listened three hours long. This is freaking badass. Seriously, yeah. thank you. And if you did make it this far, please, please, please rate and subscribe this podcast uh, on wherever you're listening to it. Uh, helps us out a ton. We are growing very quickly right now, and it would be huge to keep this thing rolling in a good direction. And uh, can't wait to be talking more hunting here. I know pretty much the whole squad is either going to be hunting this weekend or in the next week or so. So we should have tons more stories to talk about. Uh, we should have most of the boys back. I think the next time we record, so we'll have another full squad and I'm sure there'll be lots more stories. Yeah. So. And if you want to check out Cole Pint, you check out Cole underscore Pint on Instagram. And if you want to check out Maverick Jose, you check out Mav on YouTube. He has an amazing apparel line too, Mav brand. He's making high quality clothing for all types of seasons. And especially if you're a Midwesterner like myself, if you like beautifully warm high performance clothing go check out mad brand dead ass he makes amazing stuff and they have awesome promotion behind it and yeah follow him on his socials too especially the ladies like it's no foot pics like you, like you know if you it, and it doesn't matter you know if you've got a hundred dollars or ten dollars he's literally selling pictures for ten dollars a pop for his feet so get on there drop some venmos get some foot pics and please go follow these fine fellas that hopped on the podcast tonight seriously a hey, big appreciation to Pink and Sobe for having me on. Appreciate you boys. Fun catching up and look forward to doing it again sometime. Hell yeah. We'll have you well. back. Yeah. Hell thanks Pink again for, for showing up too. Yeah. Thanks Dude. for reaching out. It was, and it was sweet to connect with Mav again. I haven't, I mean, Mav and I probably haven't talked for 
I mean, every once in a while, you know, like an instant DM or a text or something. But other than yeah. that, it was since we were fishing either birds or we went brown <laughs> trout fishing in Door County. Like, <laughs> it's before Matt was doing YouTube. So it's nice yeah. to just like see familiar faces and connect again. Yeah. For sure, man. Congrats again on your season two, Cole. It's yeah, freaking, you. You it's amazing. Well. It's a pipe dream. Well, thanks everyone again for tuning into another episode of Pass the Barb. This has been an awesome episode and uh, stick around for the next one.